welcome to Pick 6 Movies. We finally made it to the finale of this season's theme, Once in a Lifetime, featuring six made-for-TV movies on the Lifetime Network. Now, you may be asking, who selects these themes and why are there six movies? Well, these are great questions, and perhaps I should start with an introduction. I'm Chad Cooper, and along with my co-host, Mr. Bo Ransdell, and a team of dedicated researchers and professional interns, we all work together to carefully select each season's theme and the six movies that are assigned to it. Now, each movie featured on each episode always begins with some history on why and how the movies were made. Following that, Mr. Bo Ransdell and I give you a review of the movie where we make jokes and do stupid voices and try to make each other laugh for about 90 minutes. It's quite a good time. Now, this season has been a very strange journey. We started off with a Christmas nutcracker that came to life and helped Sabrina, the middle-aged baker, get her groove back. Then we spent some time with Grumpy Cat, who also starred in a holiday movie, R.I.P. Grumpy Cat. Next, we saw a crazy woman stalk a single father at a homeless shelter. (laughs) Oh, that was quite the good time. After the holiday decorations were put away, we followed the continuing adventures of everybody's favorite incest-prone family, the Dollengangers. Our fifth movie also featured more uncomfortable teenage sex, but this time we sprinkled in some STDs to really spice things up a bit. And because it's damn near impossible to find a Lifetime movie that didn't involve underage sex, we didn't even try when it came to this season's finale, Murder in New Hampshire, the Pamela Smart story. Now, if you're not familiar with Pamela Smart or her story, it's a tale as old as time itself. A young, sexy female teacher meets a smitten, handsome male student. Glances are exchanged, followed by words, followed by bodily fluids. There's a little hanky then a little panky. Then the teacher asks the student to murder her husband and keep his mouth shut if he knows what's good for him, or if he ever wants to get another eye full of the hips and curves that got him into this spot of trouble in the first place. You know what? Let's not waste any more time with the obligatory show open, and instead, let's turn things over to Mr. Bo Ransdell as he presents this episode's movie introduction ripped from the headlines of the year 1990, give or take. Bo, Why don't you come in here and tell us a bunch of stuff we didn't know we needed to know until right about now. Right now. All right. The big season 14 finale of Pick 6 Movies. We've done Christmas movies and creepy book adaptations and fables about the perils of teen sex. So how do we go out with a bang? I have the perfect movie. And the introduction will be amazing. You should do... But, but, but let me stop you right there, Pick 6, but we sort of spent all our intro budget on the first five episodes, so this is what you would call a button episode. We don't really have Pick 6, but money for this one, unless you wanted to do it for free or... All right. Well, I guess I'm on my own then. Let's just go through the old Lifetime catalog, see what jumps out. Let's see, Prosecuting Casey Anthony, Natalie Holloway, Mendez the Blood Brothers, Girl in the Box, Drew Peterson Untouchable. These are all movies based on horrible murders and abductions. It's probably in pretty poor taste to try to get any entertainment out of this. Wait just a second. That music can mean one thing. We got ourselves an introduction. Let's start with something small. Why do we, as humans, enjoy seeing bad things happen to good people? What is it about us 
that makes us revel in the tragedies of others? Well, for one thing, it's wired in us. Way back when we were just speechless primates, it was an awareness of danger that allowed us to procreate and create more speechless primates. We made enough of them, and enough time passed, that we grew some pretty sophisticated brains, but that attunement to danger has never completely gone away. People still talk about sensations of goose flesh or shivers down the spine, a sense of being watched. All of these are examples of a high degree of danger assessment. Our old primate brain has some of us on high alert, but the stimulus has changed. We're not so worried anymore about saber-toothed cats or rival tribes coming for our stores of goods, but the hereditary instinct for such worry still lives inside us. But what does that have to do with true crime movies on Lifetime, you ask? Kind of a lot. The idea, according to one psychologist, is that we have an ancestral memory of familiarizing ourselves with danger. An attraction to the dangerous or horrific can have evolutionary advantages. You know what's in the dark, you can be prepared for what's in the dark. Carl Jung, one of the most famous psychoanalysts, said, One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. And we have long been enamored with evil and darkness, from the devil being the coolest character of the Bible, or maybe that's just my Milton talking, to the Joker being more interesting than Batman. The lure of all great literature is its villains. We don't read Moby Dick for Ahab, it's the big honking whale that eats him that's the real star of the show, and the lesson of that book? Don't fuck around with giant whales who hold a grudge. And true crime stories like the one we'll be covering in this episode aren't some newfangled invention. True crime has seen an insane rise in popularity, sure, and across every spectrum of media. From podcasts like My Favorite Murder to entire cable channels filling their schedules with Unsolved Mysteries and The First 48 and any number of shows highlighting murder and mayhem. Shows just about women killers, shows about serial killers, shows about lady killers. Looking at you, Supernatural. Whatever flavor of homicide you want, it's there for the taking. But, like I said, it's not remotely new. Our desire for having the worst of humanity's behavior trotted out for our amusement is old, like King James Bible old. Ironically, at the same time that version of the Holy Bible was being assembled around 1611, other authors were eager to capitalize on that most marvelous of inventions, the printing press. As printing technology grew, so did the availability of crime pamphlets. These were short and usually unbound books, churned out of printing presses between more regal works such as Decrees of State and the aforementioned Biblical works, but these grotesqueries spread. True crime going viral in the Middle Ages. Often these were ballads or narrative verses, and some actual attempts at reporting, but what they all had in common was a tendency to the morbid. They detailed the murders of England in graphic detail. One might expect this was the fodder of the lower class, but most of those people couldn't read. It was actually an aristocratic passion, these horrible little stories. And things continued in this way until the 19th century, and writers really kicked it up a notch. Fictional murders like those in the tales of Edgar Allan Poe, and honest-to-goodness true crime stories from the likes of Charles Dickens and William Thackeray, no slouches themselves, were widely available. From 1827 to 1854, Thomas de Quincey published a series of essays, 
the first called On Murder Considered as One of the Fine Arts. There followed a, quote, second paper, and then a, quote, postscript, published over this near 30-year span. In these essays, De Quincey adopted the role of a criminal, specifically one who perpetrated the 1811 Ratcliffe Highway murders in which seven people were horribly slaughtered. In postscript, he also adopts the role of the victims and members of the community. This empathetic work was considered to be a direct precursor to Truman Capote's In Cold Blood, which is a landmark in crime literature. Like Capote's book, De Quincey's work suggests there is an element of complicity in society's hunger for news of the violent and the macabre. And then there was the rise of the detective story, established by that poor Baltimore poet Edgar Allan Poe and carried further by the likes of Arthur Conan Doyle and spurred on further by a number of real-world memoirs of the very first detectives. Books cataloging the methods of crime-solving and new scientific methods of detection were bestsellers along with their fictional counterparts. And then came one of the early great true crime stories. On a summer night in 1892, Andrew Borden and his wife Abby were found hacked up with an axe. The primary suspect was their daughter, Lizzie Borden. Her trial was OJ-level mania. Newspapers competed for sensationalist retellings of the murder, while others tried to remain cool and purely factual. No matter what, readers devoured the daily updates, and when Lizzie Borden was acquitted, everyone had an opinion. Was she a murderess who got off scot-free, or an innocent woman, now infamous in the public eye, as the woman who got away with murder. Books were written after about the effect of the media on the trial, and put a pin on that one, kids. To this day, there are Christina Ricci starring television shows about Lizzie Borden. And somewhere underneath it all is a tragedy of two actual people who were killed in their kitchen. Now, is it wrong to base our entertainment on real tragedy? Uh, we've been doing it for hundreds of years. If it's a sin, it sure ain't a new one. And after the media firestorm that was the Lizzie Borden affair, newspaper outlets understood that they could sell a gazillion more copies if you included some spicy stories. You've probably heard the old newspaper adage, if it bleeds, it leads. The 50s saw a spike in newspaper and print magazines that focused on the worst of human behavior as well, and in present day, about 25 to 30% of every television show deals with crime, real or imagined. From Law & Order to Dateline, the murder buffet is open and people are gorging themselves. Now, one might argue that we only watch because it's what's on. And what are we going to do? Not watch television? What are you, stupid? And also, that stuff gets made because we want to watch it. A true crime writer named Harold Schechter proposed that stories of murder and criminal behavior are necessary for our society. We tell these stories like campfire tales, warning both ourselves and society at large of the wages of crime. People, the theory claims, need to hear the gruesome details because it's how we understand what is taboo, where the line is in terms of decent human behavior. And if that ain't enough, let's run down just a few other reasons why we might like these stories a little more than we'd like to admit. Sure, there's the evolutionary perks and the societal perks, but what about something more personal? It just so happens that a study was done in 2010 asking a broad swath of consumers of true crime media why they watched. 
the majority of the consumers were women, as suggested by polling data that shows true crime is more popular among women than men. But not by much, fellas, so don't get smug. These women said they watched true crime as much to prepare themselves as to derive some kind of entertainment from the shows and the documentaries and movies and books. If a homicide occurs in a relationship between a man and a woman, 70% of the time, it's the woman who gets murdered. The idea that women watch these shows as a kind of catalog of red flags for potential mates isn't the craziest idea in the world. Men are far more likely to commit a violent crime than a woman, to the tune of about 20% more likely for any general crime. But for murder and sexual assault, the difference is more like 60-70%, to 70%, with women far more likely to be killed or assaulted by a man than the reverse. As of 2015, one in five women reported rape or attempted rape over the course of their lifetime. That is a staggering and horrifying statistic. But if a woman tells you she's watching true crime shows to get pointers on safety, I think you keep your judgment to yourself on that one. Being a woman in this country is rough business, so a few pointers are well within the scope of acceptable behavior. Still not convinced? What about this? People love a mystery. You, me, just about everyone likes a story that reveals itself. People like to play detective. Solving a mystery is immensely satisfying at a psychological level. It stimulates our brains, and if the crime is solved, it also gives us a jolt of satisfaction at having seen a mystery through to its conclusion. Or maybe you prefer other rationalizations, that seeing crime presented as media makes it safe, something that can be dealt with, unlike the horrible realities of personal tragedy that can often be overwhelming. It allows us to empathize with both killer and victim. We can put ourselves in the shoes of someone murdered, imagining what it might be like to die horribly and suddenly. Now, mortality is often a taboo subject and it makes people uncomfortable, despite the fact that it's one of the few universals in human existence. One way or another, we're all going to die. And imagining all the ways that can happen prepares us on an emotional level for our own mortality. We console ourselves watching a dramatization of someone killed in their home by psychos and say, well, I hope I don't go out like that. By merely entertaining the idea, by placing ourselves in a bloody bed at the scene of a crime, we both acknowledge and prepare ourselves for the death that waits for us all. Is that a little too grim? Let's take it from the other side then. We can also place ourselves in the role of murderer. We've all been so angry at someone that we bark out, I could kill that asshole. But could we really? It's these stories of murder that allow us to contextualize the rage we feel. Sure, I might be furious at Carlos because he took my stapler, but I wouldn't actually kill him. Just maybe steal his yogurt from the work fridge. But seeing the extremes of human behavior can make us feel better about our own behavior in comparison. I might be a jerk, but I'm not a monster. Whatever the reason, or maybe it's a big tangled mess of all of these reasons, as I suspect, we gravitate towards these stories. And at the bottom of it all is a reality. Actual human beings who suffered and bled and died. But these stories are more than personal tragedies. They are our social boundaries. Tales of those who wander too far beyond the social fences. They are transgressors. And we must know their stories so that we don't repeat them. We tell them to each other the way our ancestors drew on cave walls, or told stories around a fire, or printed pamphlets of loose paper detailing horrific crimes. 
until we rid ourselves of the capacity of violence, which seems like a tall order by any measure, we're going to keep telling ourselves stories of those who went too far, acted out in ways that we cannot as a society allow. We watch, we compare, we judge, and hopefully we learn. Now that doesn't mean there aren't less literary and less tasteful representations of this subject matter. Take for example the subject of this episode, Murder in New Hampshire, the Pamela Wojas smart story. As for bleeding and leading, this story had it all. Sex, a taboo love affair, murder, and heavy metal. And before we get into the lifetime dramatization, which, spoilers, might just lack a little nuance, let's get the facts of the case. Pamela Wojas grew up in Miami before her family returned to New Hampshire when she was in the 8th grade. She was popular, even a cheerleader, and when she graduated, she went back to Florida. She attended Florida State University and majored in communication and even had her own radio show where she played heavy metal music. This was the mid-80s and heavy metal was everywhere, the heyday of big hair and screeching vocals on top of grinding guitars. And then in 1986, she met Greg Smart on break from college and visiting her parents. By 1987, they were getting serious. Greg loved heavy metal too, and had a big future in his father's insurance business. He was outgoing and friendly and fun by all accounts, and he loved the hell out of Pamela. They were married in 1989, and Pam Smart took a job as media coordinator at a local high school while Greg went to work with his father. While working at the high school, Pamela Smart met Billy Flynn at a local drug awareness program. Pam and Billy hit it off, and along with Billy's friend Cecilia, they all became friends. On May 1st, 1990, Greg Smart was murdered by Billy Flynn with the help of three friends, but Billy himself admitted he was the one who pulled the trigger. The scene was staged as a robbery. The investigation was aided by the father of one of the suspects, who brought the suspected murder weapon to the police ahead of any arrest when he was made aware of the suspicion surrounding his son. On May 14th, an anonymous caller fingered Cecilia as having information about the murder. Police confronted her, and she agreed to wear a wire to obtain further evidence of Smart's involvement in the murder. The captured recording did not paint Smart in a good light. Her tone was nervous and frantic. In fairness, Smart was hopped up on a fistful of Prozac at the time, too. Over a series of days, Cecilia recorded multiple conversations with Pam Smart. In one, she said, quote, If you tell the truth, we're all fucking going to jail. Among many other statements, that implied Pam Smart knew all of the details of the murder and, in fact, orchestrated it. On August 1st, 1990, Pam Smart was arrested for first-degree murder. And then things got crazy. Almost a century after the events of Lizzie Borden, a veritable carbon copy of that case was taking place. A young woman accused of murder in a media whirlwind surrounding her, debating both innocence and guilt. Also, the Pamela Smart trial was the first to allow news cameras inside the courtroom. As such, the details of the trial were covered intensely, and the details were salacious. Pam and Billy both agreed that they had engaged in, quote, an affair, which is shorthand for statutory rape. It came out that Pam was Billy's first time, that she had told Cecilia that she loved him. When she broke off the relationship, aka series of statutory rapes, Smart claims that Billy took this as a sign that Greg was standing between them and happiness, and he acted alone in the murder. The prosecution countered that Pam Smart engaged in a plan 
to seduce Billy Flynn to get rid of her husband and take the insurance money rather than go through a divorce and a loss of creature comforts. Thanks to the tapes from Cecilia and testimony from Billy and his friends, Smart was convicted of accomplice to first degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and witness tampering on account of harassing Cecilia about lying to the cops. Pam Smart has maintained her innocence from the day of her arrest to this one. Everyone else seems to think justice was done, at least in the immediate circle of those involved. There was plenty of press on both sides. Pam Smart is a black widow. Pam Smart is an innocent woman railroaded by the system. The truth was spoken, ironically enough, by Pam Smart. She said, quote, There's only two people, three, that know the truth. Me, him, and God. The him, of course, is Billy Flynn. She has never shown any sign that she sees how she played any sort of role in Greg Smart's murder, nor does she suggest that her relationship with Billy was wrong. Perhaps she has constructed this lie for herself so thoroughly that she's grown to believe it, or she is, in fact, a victim. As much as Greg Smart ever was, if that's the truth. But what is the truth of it? Like Pam Smart said, only three people know for sure. But enough screwing around. There's only two people who know how this show's gonna go. And it's time to get the second one in here to talk about this Lifetime Crime Saga. Chad loves these movies. Ladies and gentlemen, masters and maidens of metal, it's 1991's Murder in New Hampshire, the Pamela Wojcic Smart story. Pick six movies, everybody. I am Bo Ranstell. With me, as always, is the guy who drives my Camaro, Chad Cooper. How are you, sir? How are you in light of being in, in the shadow of the conversation we're about to have about the Pamela Smart story? Yeah, I'm doing great. I, I can't wait to talk about this movie. It's got everything that I love about movies. It's got a low budget. It's got poor production quality. It's got Academy Award winning actress Helen Hunt. Who could ask for anything more, Bo? Yeah, it's as good as it gets, one might say. <laughs> I think that Helen Hunt might be somebody that I would either really get along with or somebody that I would absolutely loathe being around because she seems to not really give a shit about anything ever. And I'm on board with that. But then on the other hand, she might not give a shit about me. And I have feelings, Bo. You can't just cast me aside, Helen Hunt. <laughs> I think I would get along with her. I'm a big, big fan of a low budget movie from I want to say it was like mid 80s but it could have been early 90s uh-huh uh, called Trancers okay in which Tim Thomerson who you may remember as a stand up comic from the comedy store uh, uh, -huh. uh docu series he starred as a character named Jack Death who was sent from the future back in time and I don't want you to think this is some terminator thing Chad Sure. Who, who, why would I think that? Jack Death wasn't sent back in time to save Helen Hunt, uh, who is being saved in the movie, from robots. It's from cultists who 
possess the bodies of their ancestors. And then they get dark circles around their eyes and they foam at the mouth and they come at you. Hence mm-hmm. the term trancers. And mm-hmm. there was a sequel to that as well. Helen Hunt uh, returned for the sequel in, I think, the same year she did this, which is only a couple of years before As Good As It Gets. Let me ask you this, Bo. Yes, please. Does Helen Hunt fall within the list of famous women that Bo Ransdell considers to be his type? Because I know you like Laura Linney. Uh huh. Yeah, Laura Linney is my type. Everyone is familiar with your childhood crush on Elizabeth Shue sure. and the associated restraining orders. Mm-hmm. Now expired, Chad. Now expired. <laughs> You once mentioned uh, how Allison Brie uh, will put a twinkle in your eye, but sure. I just wonder, does Helen Hunt have a place in your heart like not, all of these others? Not really. No, I, I don't mind Helen Hunt, but no, she is not uh, She is not my type. Not in the way that your Laura Lenny's are. So she won an Oscar for As Good As It Gets in 97. And then earlier in her career, she was in the movie Twister, which, mm-hmm. Bo, we should do a season all about weather movies. We should call it whether or not. Right? Oh, that's we can have not Twister bad. and um, here I come. You can't have. We can have hard rain and uh, the fog and Little Miss Sunshine. Um, uh huh. Snow dogs. This practically uh, writes itself. Perfect storm. Gone with the wind. The hurricane. Winnie the Pooh and the blustery day. Godzilla versus the smog monster. Honestly, people, that's pretty much a peek behind the curtain of how we come up with seasons. We think of something stupid and then, you know, grab a half dozen movies and some lame pun to give it a title and then we're off to the races. Yeah, it helps <laughs> if you can fit in a Godzilla versus the smog monster, which is <laughs> undeniably the grooviest Godzilla movie. So after Miss Helen Hunt wins an Oscar in 98, as good as it gets, comes out in 97, she gets a statuette a year later. And then two years later, she appears in three movies opposite three of the biggest stars in Hollywood during the early aughts. She was in Pay It Forward with now infamous creep Kevin Spacey. Mm Mm-hmm. She was in What Women Want with now infamous creep Mel Gibson. Mm -hmm. And she was, albeit briefly, in Castaway with world-famous American treasure Tom Hanks in both his jumbo size and skinny size forms. That's like two Hankses. I know. Or maybe just one and a half. It depends on how you do the math on that one. Yeah, you're right. And it, she has a really interesting arc in that she did it like a lot of TV and TV movies. And then she did some B movies. And it, I mean, it's kind of the Hollywood story, right? Like she worked her way up to being in big blockbuster movies. And it's as if the world was like, mm, maybe not. And then yeah. you see that the movie she's in kind of fall, not necessarily in quality. She, she is in some cases doing, I'm sure, really good good work but it kind of declines in terms of of stature of like how big the movie is she was in mad about you Mm -hmm. prior to all of that which was wildly popular and that was a spinoff of the tv show friends which fun fact i think i've seen maybe three episodes of that show ever the only one i remember is somebody opened up a can of soda and there was a finger in it maybe that's probably true here's what i remember uh about friends which is not very much like i think i watched the whole thing when it was originally on the air and then Mm -hmm. i had a friend of mine recently say that they rewatched friends and the thing that they were struck most by in the rewatch is how terrified everyone on that show is of being called gay (laughs) so if if you've been rewatching friends ladies and gentlemen let that stick in your noggin there are youtube videos where people go in and remove the laugh track from friends and it's haunting (laughs) 
because I need to everything watch is that. sarcastic and then they stare at each other after they say it. I should watch some of that. That sounds really good. But yeah, Helen Hunt is an interesting character to show up in this movie. But it's also weird because you see her sort of at the not quite peak of her rise, but it's like she's on her way to the top. And then you get a couple of B actors slipped in. You get a little Herman Hessman. Uh-huh. Um, who, you know, people will, uh, I'm sure know as Dr. Johnny Fever from the classic series WKRP in Cincinnati, which of <laughs> course had not that. one, but two of the greatest sitcom songs in its opening and closing credits. And then you slip in a little Larry Drake, a little villain from, from Dark Man, Dr. Giggles himself. And I'm like, man, these are guys who are kind of on the way down while Helen Hunt is on the way up. You got the mom from the Waltons, and you got the guy who played the White Shadow. He's in it. I'll take your word for it. I'll point him out when they show up. All right. Before we peel away the layers of this awful, awful movie, I feel compelled because our lawyer said that we had to say this. Pick Six movies in no way condones the terrible crimes that were committed and the subsequent pain and suffering of those primarily responsible for this terrible act of humanity and the psychological scars that have yet to heal due to the writing, production, and broadcast of Murder in New Hampshire, the Pamela Smart story. Because, though, as we made our selections for this season, I was quite weary of doing a movie that dramatized a real crime because we make stupid jokes about all of these movies and I have some remnants of human decency and pieces of a soul roaming around inside of my body according to that gypsy that I talked to and I don't want our goofy podcast to make fun of real human suffering. So if anybody thinks that we're ignoring the tragedy at the center of this movie's story, we are not. All our good-natured jabs and barbs are meant for the people who made this movie and not those who were actually part of the source material. Legal disclaimers disclaimed. Onto the snarky archery and the make funnedness. Excellent. Well, Chad, let's jump right into it because, <laughs> and I think you're right. We are focusing on this goofy movie because, ladies and gentlemen, this movie is goofy as shit. Yes. So we open up on a pretty sweet old muscle car in a parking lot. In the year 1990, because this movie hit the airwaves of the Lifetime Network on September 24th, 1991. This guy was shot in the head May 1st, 1990. Like a year and a half later, they cranked out this movie. Hell, the trial of Pamela Smart didn't start till March 22nd of 91. It was two weeks to wrap that up. And they cranked this shit out in four months. How it didn't have Roger Corman's name on it or those two Israeli canon cousins is mind-boggling. Look, first of all, Corman would have done this in four days flat and brought it in well (laughs) under budget. Let us not besmirch the good name of Roger Corman. He would have debuted it in the parking lot after the the verdict was read. The uh, premiere would have been at a blockbuster, that old joke. Obviously, like, again, she was arrested in August of 90. Yeah! From the time she was arrested, a year later, they've got the story, the sordid tale of love gone bad. And look, I didn't mean for this to happen. But all three films that we have discussed in the back end of this season, we started off with a, like happy, happy, shiny Christmas stuff. Uh huh. Then just settled into a groove of teenage fucking that we have been unable to get ourselves out of for three episodes. Tell me more about this, Mister Ansdell. <laughs> like the FBI is going to seize our hard drives. <laughs> 
All right, so let's get back to where you're. So we got yeah, this, yeah. this late model boat of a Chrysler sitting in the parking lot of a Circuit City or a Blockbuster Video or a Kenny Rogers Roasters because it's the year 1990. We see this teen in the car checking his watch. And then separate from these master criminals, we cut to the household of Pam and Greg Smart. It's a condominium townhouse. And when Greg Smart shows up, first off, I thought he was drunk because he kind of bobs and weaves to get the key in the keyhole. But it turns out, Bo, he's 100% alcohol free because in a few minutes, most of his blood is going to find itself on the outside of his body due to an unexpected (gasps) hole that shows up inside his head later. But when Greg Smart opens the door and he flicks on the light, he says, Halen, which is the dog owned by he and his wife, Pamela Smart. Now, this dog, Bo, is named Halen after Van Halen Mm -hmm. and more to the point, guitarist Eddie Van Halen. And not Alex Van Halen, okay? Well, of course not. I know it was cold there in my shadows. You are the wind beneath my wings. That's from Beaches. If anyone ever told you their favorite Van Halen was Alex Van Halen, (laughs) you would have every right to turn your back on them as a friend and a human. (laughs) That is nonsense. That cannot be allowed. We don't know that their dog is named after Van Halen yet. And when Greg Smart walked in and he goes, Halen, Halen, I was like, is he saying hey to someone named Lynn? <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm learning at this moment that that dog's name was Halen. I, could, I, I thought it was Bailey the entire way through. It's Halen. It's named after her car's license plate, which is actually named after I, Eddie Van Halen. Of course. I saw the license plate, but boy... <laughs> You know, ironically, for such Van Halen fans, sure not a lick of Van Halen in this movie. They couldn't afford Van Halen dollars. Not even Van Hagar. You can't even get Van Hagar for this thing. When Greg Smart enters the house, these two young men dressed all in black, they lunge at Greg from the shadows and they wrestle him to his knees. And Greg Smart says, whoa, what is this? And I like how this movie awkwardly is absent of any profanity. So when Greg Smart is forced to the ground, it's a real Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, the Mormons response. He's like, "Ah, sir, would you care to explain yourself and, and why you're whipping me with that pistol? I see your companion here has a knife. Might I inquire as to what you plan to do with that? Oh, oh, placing it against my neck in a menacing fashion. I think I know where you're headed with this, sir. And the kid with the knife who is peed mm-hmm. is like, I can't do it. It, right he's he's chickening out a little bit he says give me your wallet greg's like oh, yeah, certainly here it is it's a chevron gas card in there and 29 dollars, as well as a subway sandwich loyalty stamp card that's 100 percent full gotta buy a drink but they'll give you the sandwich for free don't lose that he, yeah he's willing to give everything up until they're like you know hey give us that wedding ring and at that point he's like well nope i listen i'd i'd love to help you out there i really would but I know we're all tense in this situation, but I, I got to draw a line. The one thing I can't give you is uh, is this ring. That's uh, that's awful special. That's my wedding ring. Look, Bo, I'm a happily married man, and my wedding ring is an important symbol of the marriage between my wife and I. But if someone comes into my house and puts a knife to my throat and wants my wedding ring, guess what? Here you go. You, right. you want some family heirlooms? Take them here. Any other, anything else in the house you want? You know what? It's all yours, buddy. I want to live to see another sunrise. All right. hundred percent. You know what's worse than being robbed? Being fucking dead. That's a million times worse than robbed. You can tell people about the time you got robbed. You can't tell people about the time you fucking got shot in the head. Greg Smart refuses to give up his ring and he's like, well, fellas, if I give you my ring, I got to tell you, my wife, Pamela, she's going to kill me. And they're both like, (laughs) 
Um, nothing. It's at this point, the other silent thug that turns out to be Billy Flynn, the main kid in our movie. He speaks up and he's like, oh, geez, come on, Pete. And Pete's like, hey, don't say my name. Shut up, Billy. Oh, you said my name. He knows who we are. Call me the Eagle from now on. I'll call you Pluto. Pluto and Eagle. You hear that? We're using our code names. These balloons blow up into funny shapes. Anyway, so when Pete chickens out like a, a little wimp. You know, I can't believe that he didn't want to slit a, an innocent man's throat just to see life drain from his body. Right. What a wimp. So Billy has to man up and uh, uh, pulls the gun from his leather jacket. It's a nice 38 special, Bo. Yeah. I wish I knew lyrics from that song. And then he asks God to forgive him. Oh, God, please forgive me. Right. And then we tastefully, Chad, very mm-hmm. tastefully, cut to outside our <laughs> condominium. Townhouse mode. condominium. Yeah. And then a shot rings out. Ka-tum. And Bonk. then we see Billy and Pete hauling ass across this parking lot going back to the car yeah they come running out of this like embankment of woods into the lit parking lot it's kind of like they just threw handfuls of their own shit at somebody for free pizza coupons and cheap beer (laughs) man i thought about that (laughs) as i was watching this because i was like man that parking lot and just (laughs) everything about it listeners for those of you don't know we were all in on you know what you um, know what i don't know the statute of limitations on things and we all have reputations to protect that was basically a joke for six people who might be listening moving along moving along contact me <laughs> privately and i will tell each of you the story independently once we verify that you're not a fucking cop and that you're not gonna squeal that a theme of this movie billy flynn and pete hop in the car and jr is another one of their buddies he says oh so how'd it go billy flynn says well we did it i mean i did it i killed a man and then we fade to a courthouse that is surrounded by the media and onlookers and nosy neighbors and it's a snowy day and we finally get the title of our movie murder in new hampshire the pamela smart story And as the snow is falling, I'm thinking the filmmakers had to be extremely pleased or completely pissed off that it was actually snowing on the day of filming. Right. This is pre-Lifetime having fake snow technology that they use in all their Christmas movies. If it was today, it'd be shot in August and there would be CGI-ish snow on top of two of the cars. But it's everywhere. It's on top of the vans and the bushes and the tree limbs. It's real snow. That's nice. Yeah. I mean, it's fortunate. And then we cut inside. Oh, yes. Where Dr. Johnny Fever is giving an opening statement. He's the prosecuting attorney. Explaining, ladies and gentlemen, I've got to tell you here, uh, before we kick off the news on the tens, Pam Smart seemed like the perfect teacher. Billy here uh, was forming a crush on her. The next thing you know, murder. That's right, murder on the fives. I'll be back at the bottom of the hour with more of your verdicts. The camera pans over to Helen Hunt portraying Pamela Smart, and she's sitting alongside defense attorney Dr. Giggles. (laughs) And it's kind of strange to have two attorneys who are also doctors going head to head in such a high profile case, such as the Pamela Smart murder trial. Yes, but one is a dentist and one is clearly a doctor of love. (laughs) Helen Hunt is making a shit ton of notes like she's about to inform her lawyer of some new defense strategy. I figured she was just drawing the winged VH logo or a lot of those really cool block letter S's. Just drawing pictures of Billy. I I mean, he's a good-looking boy is all. Writing his name with his last name on hers. Pam Flynn. Mrs. Billy Flynn. Mrs. Pamela Billy Flynn. Mrs. William Flynn. Like that. Pamela Smart Flynn. 
How about that? She's uh, scribbling away with Dr. Giggles, and Johnny Fever is like, ladies and gentlemen, she not only encouraged this affair with Billy, she threatened to break up with him just so she could get him to murder her husband, letting him know that if he was out of the picture, then their affair could continue. That was just another moment of manipulation for Pamela Smart. I think you're going to find her guilty. More on that at the quarter hour. We cut to a two-story home from the 1980s. Just think the Home Alone house, but in New Hampshire. It's got more mature evergreen trees for landscaping. And this movie does a terrible job of not telling us where we are, but it also exceeds those inabilities of quality storytelling by neglecting to tell us when we are. Because most movies, unless it's like a Tarantino film, they progress forward in time. And when not doing so, they let us know that we're in a flashback or we've shifted geographic locations. But this movie does none of that. It has no budget for post-production title work. The audience will figure it out. Greg Smart's alive. We're in the past. If we're in a courtroom, we're in the present. Get back in there and start editing. And it's Helen Hunt, I think at her house, it was the second time through, I was like, oh, that's where she lives. It's Pamela Smart's house. Yeah. And she's lying on her bed wearing headphones and she's listening to what else? Heavy metal music, probably Van Halen. And then the phone rings and Pamela Smart just ignores it. So her mom answers the phone downstairs. And then we cut to Greg Smart, who now has this long roadie hair down to his shoulders. Mm -hmm. And Greg Smart says, hello, ma'am. Can I interest you in some term life insurance? <laughs> That's a joke. It's me, Gregory Smart, your daughter's boyfriend. I hope I didn't upset you with my ruse, Mrs. Pamela Smart's mother. <laughs> and then Pamela Smart's mother. She says, oh, Greg, you got the job at Northeastern Insurance Company. And Greg Smart goes on to say, why, yes, I did. I'm following in my father's footsteps at the same company where he works. And he's actually the top insurance salesman. And I think he might be the boss or even own the company. I'm not sure how I got the job. Say, hey, can I speak to your daughter, my lovely female? Beyonce to interject a little bit of exposition right and so her mother has to go upstairs and interrupt Pamela Smart from rocking yeah she's like hey get the phone and Helen Hunt looks a little pissed about it at first and then she gets on the phone with Greg who's like honey I got the job now I know I was kind of a shoe-in what with it being my father's company at all but I just wanted to let you know that you and I are gonna be painting the town red how about I pick you up at six o'clock that's 1800 hours for a weekend in Boston if that's all right with your mother should I have asked her first so Greg shows up at Pamela Smart's house and he's in this red nissan pickup truck and it's blaring rock music what else and we see him and his samson like long locks of heavy metal hair have now been sheared down to an acceptable length of your local tv station weatherman and so when he goes to the door pamela smart answers it and she's dressed like a cindy lopper music video extra and she sees her soon-to-be husband's short hairdo and she almost throws up on it it's either that or punch him in the face one of the two of just like oh God, you disgust me. He looks a lot like Colin Jost from Weekend Update uh -huh. in this movie. Yeah. Well, until he gets shot in the head. Then he looks like a November 1st roadside jack-o'-lantern. I was going to say JFK, but pick your poison. Craig Smart says, well, look here, Pamela. I know I look a little different. I'm more respectable, one might say. But I've got a grown-up job starting on Monday. And, well, please don't think me a bit queer, but I've stuffed some of my cut hair in this envelope as a gift for you. And Pamela Smart says, I don't want your hair in an envelope. 
I want it on your head. And Greg Smart says, oh, this hair's not from my head. It's an envelope full of my pubic hair. I should have clarified that. My, as they say, bad. And he kind of puts a, a, a tag on this by saying, I may look like Donald Trump, but I still feel like John Bon Jovi. Or is it Jonathan Bon Jovi? He's out of the White House. They kicked him off Twitter. And even when reviewing a movie that is almost 30 years old, somehow we cannot escape him. It's really funny. I, I was like, boy, just when you least expect it, huh? Like Trump is like fucking Jaws, just silently <laughs> cruising through the waters, ready to strike when you least expect it. I was going to say he's like herpes. Like, I think it's gone. Ah, shit. It's back. Chad, let me direct you to season 14, episode five of Pick Six Movies, all about a transmissible venereal disease. <laughs> I know all about him. Oh. I know all about him. After he says the John Bon Jovi line, though, Pamela Smart is like, that is not funny. And by the way, I'm going to kill you if you don't grow that hair back. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can grow it back, honey. As soon as I've made my way in the company, why, I'll turn a few heads and then they'll look the other way to extend the metaphor of neck-based movement. When I decide to grow my hair out a little bit longer, maybe past my ears if I'm feeling really frisky. And plus, come along, Pamela. You don't wear your spiked heels and your sequined bustier at your job at a high school, do you, Pamela? And so Pam Smart, she's like, all right, I'll be back. So she goes inside her house to get her go bag for their weekend getaway. And she's up in a room that's covered in posters of like Judas Priest and Van Halen and Whitesnake and whatever the hell shit rock she listens to. And she kind of cranks up the music and she just sort of zones out as she says goodbye to the carefree days of her youth. And as I watched this, I thought, you know what? I did the exact same thing when I was 17, but it was to Weird Al Yankovic's parody song, Lasagna. <laughs> Let's give minor credit to the film in that okay. what they establish here is that Pamela Smart as a character in this film just never matures. She just never gets out of high school. She never becomes an adult. There's, right. you know, her mother, in fact, says, I'm really happy about Greg getting this job because that means he's growing up a little bit and that's a little something both of you could use. It doesn't really land that metaphor or, or right. that theme real well, but it's there. There is something there in the in the movie but then we cut back to johnny fever of course gentlemen uh, and ladies of the jury i just gotta ask you here before we get into a little led zeppelin what kind of person would kill her husband of 11 months and then coolly cover up her guilt with his family what kind of woman is pam smart many of you may be asking yourself a dangerous one and by dangerous one i mean the next single Hot off the last record from Toto. We'll be back in 15 with a little more news and a little more of your requests. As Dr. Johnny Fever uh, goes on and on about uh, traffic and weather on the nines, uh, <laughs> we see Greg Smart's parents looking very angry, you know, because their son Greg Smart was shot in the head. We then cut to a hotel room where Pamela Smart and Greg Smart are going to have getaway weekend sex. And Greg Smart has lit enough candles in this hotel room to make both Sting and Kenneth Branagh jealous. Sees 
season three, episodes five and two, respectively. Greg Smart, he presses play on this shitty little portable cassette tape mini boombox player. And what sounds like a Brian Adams demo starts coming out of the speakers. And as these two slow dance in the hotel room, we then immediately cut to their wedding day and rice is getting tossed in the air and they run down the stairs of the church and they climb in a limousine. And Pamela Smart gets into the limo. And then for some reason, her mother-in-law is right beside her at the door of this limo. And Pamela Smart says to her mother-in-law, Greg Smart's mom, thank you for making me feel so much you part of your family. I feel closer to you than I do my own parents. And I want you to know, I will personally never do anything to harm your son in any way. I, Pamela Smart, will not harm him ever. Me, Pamela, I will not be the one to cause any physical harm to your beloved son, Greg. And then we cut to Pamela Smart's parents, um, who, as I mentioned earlier, the mom is Mrs. Walton from The Waltons. And then the dad is Mr. The White Shadow from the TV show, The White Shadow. He was also Mr. Hank Hooper on 30 Rock, the one who took over Cable Town, if you watch that show. And Greg Smart's mom, she says to her new daughter-in-law, Pamela Smart, You're part of our family, Pamela Smart. We love you. Now, you two go have some fun. And you know what I mean? Wild, sweaty, freaky, consummative sex that is not frowned upon by the Lord. You take my boy there and you ride him like a Bronco, huh? Don't want you coming back without a grandkid or two in the oven. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I will do that. I will try to break him in twain. And then comes one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. That's yeah, pretty good. Where we cut back to the home of the parents, Judy and Bill, I think. No, no, they, it's the, the townhouse condo that we saw earlier. Oh, okay. Because they're, they're surrounded by their wedding gifts and Pamela's there and Greg and Greg's parents are joining them for afternoon day drinking. To show off vacation pictures and whatnot, Greg is telling a really questionable story about talking the, quote, natives into letting him onto some secret beach. AKA scored some weed on the beach, which by the way is how a lot of horror movies start. Let's go to this place. No one knows about anyway. Greg's mom is like, look at all these gifts. I swear if we'd had all this when your, your father and I got married and Helen Hunt is like, yeah, I've been going through a list of all the relatives and putting together a little bit of a spreadsheet here. I think you might find some of this information useful and interesting. I calculated the cost of what everything is worth on this computer printout. And it says here that the most expensive gift was given by my side of the family and the mm-hmm. average of gift cost was also on my side of the family, on that side of the ledger. Now, your family is what we call a bunch of cheap bastards. Those numbers are misleading. Least expensive gift and averages only tell part of the story. We need to know total value of gifts received. She left an important figure out. If Greg's family gave twice as much in total value, game over. Who cares about lowest cost and averages? Her figures are misleading. We have a set of alternate percentages here, uh, and we are confident that this information is accurate. Uh, in as, as much as all alternate facts are, are going to be accurate. Pamela also comments on how they got this four slice toaster that costs $275 due to just for inflation. That's about 550 bucks in today's money right. for a toaster. What a couple of dumbasses. Greg's dad rightly is like, what does it make eggs and bacon too? The fuck? What does that thing do? No, it doesn't make eggs and bacon. You dumbass. It makes four pieces of toast. How much does your toaster cost? What? $20. This is about a thousand percent better than yours. Yours is just a piece of shit. And then Greg's like, well, honey, calm down a little bit. Things are getting heated. What say we drink some champagne? Alcohol always seems to lower the temperature of any conversation in the room. And so then we finally cut back to the courtroom. 
uh-huh. where we hear Dr. Giggles pose defense for the first time. Yep. And he's like, listen, ladies and gentlemen, you just have to listen to everything in context. <laughs> if you do that, you might even end up a little angry that this case even came to trial like me. <laughs> we flash back in time from the court case and we see Greg Smart and he's doing his dishes and Pamela Smart storms into the house and she's all sudden she's like, well, I didn't get that job at Channel 9. I'm not good enough to be their stupid news person. Stupid news station wouldn't know stupid news talent if it bit them in their stupid ass. I'm going to rot in the stupid school system teaching kids how to plug in stupid VCRs. And Greg tries to console her. He's like, well, honey, you're talented. Maybe it's the fact that you, you know, stand with a very broad stance like a man and you sound like a man and you beat up other men like a man. But you know what? I'm going to leave before I get punched. So Greg goes off uh, to his job to sell door-to-door insurance. And then we cut to the school gymnasium where Pamela Smart is now volunteering as a school counselor facilitating a drug awareness program. Mm -hmm. And finally, Bo, we are introduced to Billy Flynn, the young, blonde-haired, mulleted, wide-eyed, horny, murderous, 15-year-old, soon-to-be convicted felon. And in this scene, there is a circle of chairs and it looks a lot like an AA meeting or uh, so I'm told. And Billy Flynn is spinning this yarn where he says, so um, we were all, you know, snorting cocaine and uh, it was some real intense nose candy and I'm riding the rails hard and, you know, the way 15 year old kids do and I'm totally out of my mind and I end up on this train trestle bridge naked, covered in lighter fluid and I thinking I'm on another planet and I wake up the next day in a dumpster behind a Shakey's Pizza. My buddy RJ's there and he's like, man, that shit was cut with bad guano and fun dip oh what a fucking night oh billy i just want to point out how brave you are for having said that Uh, yeah forget what you hear on Mm -hmm. on television and in the rap music about drugs and music going together listen i can tell you all i was actually uh called the maiden of metal on a college holy shit that's the coolest thing ever it is one of the coolest things you're ever gonna hear i can verify that you were actually a radio disc jockey yeah and i hung out with the van halens both eddie and alex which one is your favorite there is a right answer miss pamela smart he just passed out and it looks like he's pissing himself should i try to wake him up no just let him rest i think he's probably coming down from all that cocaine the kid who plays Billy Flynn in this is Chad Allen, who at the time had appeared with Wilford Brimley and Shannon Dordery on that series Our House. And he later on, he went in to be on uh, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. He kind of looks like a 90s white trash version of Orlando Bloom and all those Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, that's a good call. He does have a, a Bloom-esque appearance. We cut back to the courtroom where attorney Dr. Giggles is laying out his case, Morbo. How innocent do you think Billy really is, considering he tried not once, not twice, three, three times to kill this son of a bitch by his own admission? Ask him yourselves. And then we cut back to the past where Pamela Smart is giving a ride home to a teenage girl named Cecilia who's in the front seat of Pamela Smart's, is it a Camaro? Is that what she drives? I think so. Or a Trans Am? It's one or the other. There ought to be a 12-pack of natural light that just comes with every one of them. 
You know? It's that same car that Billy Madison rolled up in when he finally made it to ninth grade. Yeah, that's a great reference point for this. <laughs> and it's it's Cecilia and Billy and Helen Hunt, aka Pamela Smart, all in this Camaro. Billy's in the back seat doing some pretty sweet air guitar to the rock music blaring from the speaker. Right. And Cecilia is just like, so you're so interesting, Miss Smart. Can you tell me more about what a media person does in school? Yeah, I'm pretty important at the school. I control all of the VCRs, all of the projectors. If anyone needs to check out any VHS tapes, they got to come to me. Wow, that is so cool. Like, I want to be a journalist, too? Yeah, it's it's a lot like being a journalist, but, you know, not like those stuck-up assholes on TV news. It's like being a journalist, but not like that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you're pretty cool. Say, is your house over here? Maybe I could drop you off. And then Cecilia says, keep in mind, she's taking two kids home from a drug awareness rehabilitation information session. And Celia's like, yeah, you can just drop me off right here on the street corner. My house is around here somewhere. And you're like, is she a prostitute or is she dealing drugs or both? I think it's more a matter of like her parents. If they see her in a Camaro, they're going to be like, hey, Ah. did you bring some money for drugs? Where where were you? Were you at a job? (laughs) Do you have any money? We would like some drugs, please. Billy climbs out of the backseat into the front seat of the car. And as he's getting in, he takes a, a gander at Pamela Smart's legs and her short skirt. And Pamela Smart says, do you play guitar, Billy Flynn? Ah, uh, I likes to. I mean, I like to, but it makes my fingertip skirt hurt, hurt. And, and uh, when I masturbate later tonight thinking about you, I mean, when I practice tonight, oh, jeez. Did you really meet Eddie Van Halen? They're my favorite band after Motley Crue and Whitesnake. You know what? I've got some tiny mirrors with all their logos on them in my locker. I won them at the county fair last year. You could come by and see them if you ever wanted to. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I think I might do that sometime. Listen, uh, it is true about Eddie Van Halen. I guess I could tell you about that. Oh, that'd be awesome. I was doing an interview, and, like, I don't know him, know him, but we hung out a little bit after the interview and just kind of, you know, shot the shit. What? Yeah, he was a pretty cool guy. Hey, do you mind if I turn up this hard rock heavy metal music so we I can bang our heads? I was just going to say that. Boy, I really like the way you think, Billy. And then she drops him off. And as he's getting out of the car, she's like, hey, Billy, wait a second. You know, <laughs> if you really want to be a good guitarist, you can. You just got to work hard enough and you can get anything you want. Billy, you got to work real hard. You know what I mean? Because when push comes to pull, you got to just get in there and strap in and hold on. And you got to put in a lot of sweat and work until you come to a place where you just pass out from exhaustion because you made your dreams come true. Do you know what I mean, Billy Flynn? I think I do. Do you have a t-shirt or a biology textbook that I can hold over my crotch to hide the erection I now find myself having in my pants? Maybe I can just smack it a couple of times. Do you have a phone book? Billy gets out. He goes inside his house and Pamela Smart drives away at her Trans Am Camaro, which for the first time we get to see the vanity license plate that reads Halen. Ugh. 
What an awful human being this must have been. I hope that was her idea and not Greg's. Of course it wasn't. Speaking of Greg, we cut to Greg Smart's family house, where his whole side of the Smart clan, they're standing around a piano, and it's Christmas time, and they're singing the 12 Days of Christmas, where his father is spontaneously assigning one of the 12 Days of Christmas to different people, where they would sing that day as it comes around, which if I'm ever in a situation like this, you can take all of it, put it back in the box that it came in, go outside and put it in a trash can. And while you're out there, put a brick on top of it because I don't want a bunch of raccoons to get into the trash can, pull this thing out and start having a holiday sing along out in the alley. Let me ask you this as a baseline for that statement. Uh-huh. Is the 12 days of Christmas the most asshole song of Christmas? It's the most excruciatingly painful Christmas carol ever. It goes on way too long. And in this scene, Greg Smart, he is drinking eggnog, or as I call it, a festive way to ruin brandy, rum, whiskey, or bourbon. (laughs) And, And Greg Smart's dad throws his son the easy layup of day five in the 12 days of Christmas, and Greg fucks it up. He goes, uh, five French horns. I mean, five drummers dancing. And then Pamela Smart is standing by her husband with her eyes closed, just seething with hatred at this man. She has to now call her husband. And Greg's wearing this black turtleneck and a dark brown sports coat. And he's somehow drunk on eggnog, which means in under 90 minutes, he's going to be vomiting up cream and cinnamon in early times. And then Greg kind of giggles through his own incompetence. And he's like, "Uh, no, 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 everyone. Calm down. I've got it. Five onion rings. (laughs) <laughs> that's a joke that i came up with and then dude pamela smart walks away in disgust yeah and i want to know do you think that little detail was entered into the court record of evidence in support of pamela smart's innocence because if i'm on the jury and i hear that her husband pulled this five onion rings routine in front of other people i would still convict her of murder but it would be a lesser sentence if i was on the jury yeah it'd be second degree like it was extenuating circumstances you were pushed to the edge Did you hear what he did? He fucked it up and then he said five onion rings? Do you think he said five onion rings for the rest of the song? There were seven more days of Christmas and you'd have to hear that shit every time. And you know he did it with more enthusiasm until the last round? Dude, it's not just Greg in this scenario. It's this whole fucking family. Like, everybody round robining the 12 days of Christmas like this? Just give me the gun. (laughs) Right. Like, you got to get the hell out of here. This is the one time in the movie where I'm like, I understand Pamela Smart well in this moment. You got to get the fuck out of there. Like, there are certain kinds of people that can sit around a piano and sing the 12 days of Christmas, and I ain't one of them, Chad. And neither was Pamela Smart. No, unless it's the Muppets or Bob and Doug McKenzie or that's it. I'm done. Yeah. Hell, even Bob and Doug knew to cut that thing off after eight. Right. And had Getty Lee throwing <laughs> down in the song. Like, I'm that way about just people like, let's gather around the piano and sing some songs. Really, unless Rolf the dog is playing the piano, I have no interest in any of that behavior. You know, if he hadn't been murdered, that would have been his thing every year going forward. Yeah. He would have said five onion rings every time this song was sung. Every time they were in a restaurant, he would order the onion rings and like slip one on her finger yeah, or try to, you know, it would be unendurable. Like maybe, maybe things worked out for the best. We cut to Greg Smart's mom and dad driving Greg Smart and Pamela Smart home. And Greg and Pamela are in the back seat and Greg is drunk and the actor playing him 
he's kind of like being more high than drunk based on my experience. And in the front seat, Greg's mom is smiling at her intoxicated son. He's so funny when he's drunk, Bo. You don't see too many hilarious videos of drunk people online saying stupid shit in cars like you do those videos of people that are all hopped up on laughing gas after they've had their wisdom teeth pulled. You ever notice that? Yeah, because there's usually a lot more profanity and accusations being thrown around in those moments. I've posted a couple of videos of some eight-year-olds that were real drunk on Crown Royal and High C, like spouting off all kinds of nonsense, and I had to take them down. I'm like, why? It's kind of the same thing, but then, you know, uppity <laughs> legislation. Yeah, they're just like, no, it's different. Like, all right, it's your kid. But again, this is more behavior you can keep. Like, he's reciting the Twas the Night Before Christmas drunkenly, and Pamela Smart does overreact here. I don't think so. Eh. She says, shut up, Greg. You're not funny and it's embarrassing. Right, but it's Judy who's like, well, you know, he's trying to have a good time. And she's like, you shut up too, Judy. If I got to come up there in that front seat, I'll do it. Your son is back here drunk, acting like a jackass, and I got to go home with it. I'm not You're right, I'm not Pam. happy. You're right, Pam. He is my son, and this is my car, and it's being driven by my husband. So guess what? My rule. My son can be a loud, drunk, obnoxious asshole if he wants. Thank you very much. And Greg manages to fit in here between these two shrews yelling at each other. Look, I am not an alcoholic. I'm just looking for a good time. <laughs> Said every alcoholic ever. Hey, you know what'll make <laughs> this party better? Booze. You're not wrong. But also, it's not a great sign, Greg. <laughs> and then, later that night, I assume, uh, Pamela Smart shows up at the parents' house door, banging on it. Yeah, I thought it was Pee Wee Herman looking for his bike. Francis! And they open up the door, and they're like, what, did you hit your head? No, Greg hit me. I know he's physically smaller, and in many ways, I look like I'm perhaps a different species, one that is larger and more aggressive, perhaps a predator that would feed on his uh, particular species. But in fact, he did hit me, and you can tell by the way I'm holding my eye. So the dad goes over to Greg and Pamela's house and the dad walks in and he's like, did you hit your wife? And Greg, who's just kind of laying around shirtless, he sits up and goes, did I what? <laughs> so you're like, oh, he totally hit his wife. Because it would have only been more incriminating if he had repeated the question verbatim, you know, where you change emphasis of certain words. Like the dad's like, did you hit your wife? Did I hit my wife? Did I hit my wife? Did I hit my wife? Yeah. Let's go ahead and just call 911. A good drunken no also works. Greg Smart says, uh, look, father, she was standing in the bathroom doorway and I needed to get past her and she wouldn't move. You know how big and brawny she is. So I walked past her and my shoulder bumped her shoulder as I went past into the bathroom. And well, at the same time, my fist bounced off her face as I was swinging my fist towards her smug facial expression. Honestly, father, the number of times I've clung to her to climb the stairs on her back, I never thought that a simple bump in the face would be a problem i've actually fought her off in some of her more aggressive sexual encounters with one of the fire pokes and if that wasn't going to do any damage these bony old elbows sure didn't seem to be the trick craig's dad resolves the situation by saying ah 
Just go to bed. You got to solve your own problems, Greg. And he just leaves. Yeah, and he's gone. Yeah. Deuces, Greg. Again, because this movie is terrible, we then see Greg's parents and Pamela Smart, but now they're back at the townhouse condo where Greg and Pamela live, and Greg's parents are tucking Pamela into bed. She's there with the dog, Halen, and I guess Greg is upstairs sleeping off his belly full of eggnog. And she's like, look, I'll sleep here. I'll be okay. If he comes down, I'll just bat him away with the back of my hand. Should have done it last time. Lessons learned. I'm just going to unplug this phone and hug my little dog, Halen, and then call it a night. We then cut to Pamela Smart at her school, and she's sitting in the media center, and she's talking to Billy Flynn, Celia from the drug rehab group, and this other nameless mystery girl is there. And Pamela Smart says, hey y'all, listen, the Florida Citrus Council wants people to make music videos about, guess what, orange juice. And we're going to make a rock video about this. Chad, if I might make one small correction here. Uh Uh-huh. What the original proposal is, from the Orange Juice Council, I guess, Uh is just to make a commercial. And it's Pamela Smart who's like, we need to do a rock and roll video. And when Cecilia is like, "Uh, how can we do it as a music video, Pamela Smart? She hilariously replies, how can we not? Yeah. It really tickles Uh, me. You know, for a woman with a hammer, everything's a nail. (laughs) She's going to nail Billy Flynn. Oh, we can use the school's equipment that is tax deductible. We'll workshop some ideas. It's going to be a real group kind of effort, except if there's a trip to be won, y'all ain't going to go. It's going to be me and my husband, but we'll split some cash prize money if you want. And by we, I mean me and my husband. We'll split that cash money. Y'all aren't getting shit. You're not getting the trip. You're not getting the cash, but you can help me make this. The question is moot. I get the money. I get the car. (laughs) And Billy is like, yeah, that sounds great. How about we all jump in? And then they agree to meet in a couple of days for some brainstorming, you know, break the story, plot out some beats, get the theme right. As Celia's walking away, Pamela's like, Celia, Celia, hey, could you come here for a minute? I was thinking you could be my intern. Are you a student at this school? Would you work at a college? Anyway, it doesn't matter. You can just show up and help me out because you've got substance abuse problems and uh, I don't know anything about you. So I think you'd be a perfect fit to help me. Oh my God, that sounds so great. As my first official intern act, I should probably tell you, Billy has a major crush on you. Oh my God, you're going to make me blush. I know, he's so cute. So we cut to Pamela Smart, Celia, and random nameless girl number three, all dressed up like Wilma Flintstone and Barney Rubble, and they're beating oranges with caveman clubs while Billy Flynn films them with this jumbo-sized VHS video recorder, and things get real out of control, and orange juice is flying everywhere, and Pamela Smart asks Billy Flynn, uh, hey Billy, will your mom let me come inside and take a shower in your house, preferably the shower in your bedroom and then billy flynn just passes out whoa thunk and so cut immediately to her coming out of the shower into billy's room apparently Mm -hmm. which is just wallpapered with posters from metal bands and shit oh my god it's like being back in my bedroom at my parents house he and i we're soulmates we're so simpatico i like the way that his posters are all crooked and that you can see just enough of the Def Leppard hysteria poster to know what it is, but you don't see the words Def Leppard or hysteria <laughs> on it. Downstairs, Billy Flynn is talking with his mom. Hey, look, mom, me and Mrs. Pamela Smart are going to go out to a dance club, but Celia's going to be there and I'm not going to be home for dinner because I'm a rebel and I do cocaine or something. 
his mom is rightly like, I don't know. This sounds a little shady. I'm out of here. You're not the boss of me. Well, I mean, you are, but you're not the boss of me. He throws a, if dad were alive, he'd let me go. You're like, whoa, Billy, you went to the nuclear option right away. The, if dad were alive. His mom looks at him and is like, what do you mean if dad were alive? Your father lives in Cleveland. He's in the den. Hello, Billy. I'm in here. Not for long. We get to the club where Pamela Smart and Billy Flynn are dancing. He's in his leather jacket and chains. She's in her denim skirt and tube top. Celia, our third wheel, sits off to the side of the dance floor watching disapprovingly as these two dry hump each other. We come back to school and Billy Flynn is sitting outside Pamela Smart's office waiting for Celia to leave. As she exits, Billy enters the office and Pamela Smart says, Hey, Billy, you said your neighbor has a photo developing service. Will you drop this roll of film off for me? I mean, I know I could drop it off pretty much at any grocery store, pharmacy, one-hour photo booth, you know, in every sketchy shopping mall parking lot around town, but it's an excuse to see you again. Also, Billy, do you ever, you know, think about me? Like, you know, think, think about me? Oh, Uh, boy. He just passes out. One thing about this scene, as Billy enters, you Mm -hmm. get both a boom mic and the shadow of the boom mic dipping in. <laughs> and that. and if he had actually tripped on the way in and jostled the set, they call that a full Ed Wood. <laughs> when Billy Flynn comes to, he looks up and he says, Ah, Miss Pamela Smart, I think about you all the time. Yeah, Billy, you know what? I think about you all the time, too. And then Billy passes out again. And then we cut to another day where they're filming this low-rent Everybody Walk the Dinosaur music video out in the snow. And then Celia and the girl who shall not be named in our movie they ride off on a scooter and that leaves billy flynn and pamela smart to go inside billy flynn's house where billy flynn's mom is downstairs ignoring her parenting duties of preventing a 22 year old woman being alone in the bedroom with her once cocaine abusing 15 year old son upstairs billy has has picked up the the pictures that uh, pamela smart gave him and it turns out they're all sexy boudoir shots of uh, helen hunt all dressed up like peggy bundy I looked at the pictures and I passed out. But then when I came to, I breathed in a paper bag and I looked at him. You're in a bikini. You're so pretty. Billy, it turns out that I can't use these because they're not professional. And my friend Janice, who took them, is a real bitch and wasted my time. So I can't use them for my portfolio. But, you know, if you want to keep one, it's real appropriate for for me to give you a sexy picture as an adult with you being a child and all oh that sounds great i would love to have one of these pictures i gotta tell you i made duplicates for myself but a lot of those are sticky right now i like this one the best you're so beautiful i would do anything to have a woman as beautiful as you miss pamela smart and then they kiss these two start making out in Billy's bedroom while they're sitting on the bed. And then Pamela Smart stops kissing and she said, look, Billy, I got to go. I'm married. I mean, if I wasn't married, then maybe we could kiss some more, but I am married. Only divorce, which let's be honest, that's impossible. Or another easier path of my husband being dead could cause me to be unmarried, leading to more kissing with you. But I got to go, Billy Flynn. Why can't you you just get divorced again? I think I missed that part. It's real complicated, Billy. You know, it's grown-up stuff that you wouldn't understand, and it's damn near impossible to get a divorce in New Hampshire these days. So we get a quick cutaway to Greg playing on the lawn. 
with yeah, like, it's like his they're niece. a kid of bunkport or something. Yeah, it's like kids and shit. Right. And and it's a real quick shot of that. Five onion rings. Remember that everyone at Christmas? What I said that? <laughs> That's my thing now. I sell insurance and I use that as my opener. <laughs> Ah, oh, good times, everyone. And so later, he's in bed with his wife, Pamela, and mm. says, You know, Pebbles Smart, <laughs> I've been thinking we should have a child. I mean, our marriage is so rock solid and happy. It seems, well, selfish not to bring another child into the world and shower them with the love that we share. Yeah, that's not going to happen, Greg. Not anytime soon. And it's definitely not going to happen tonight, okay? If I could ask one follow-up question, if you don't mind. Please there, don't. Look, I'm going to go ahead just as rules of orders dictate. Fine. Just know that I'm going to ignore every word that comes out of your stupid mouth. And I swear to God, if you say five onion rings, I'm going to bust you in the face with this clock radio. First of all, you know that's the closer. Don't sell me short, honey. More importantly, I know we're putting off this whole having a child and getting on with our lives thing. Mm -hmm. We aren't. I am. But go on. But maybe that doesn't necessarily close the door to all sexual activity. It closes my legs. It closes my mouth. It closes my hand unless I'm making a fist to punch you, which I swear to God, if you say five onion rings, I'm calling the cops because I need to be arrested. You seem upset, honey. I'm going to go downstairs and get myself a beer. People call it, I almost hesitate to say it, it makes me blush, but oral gratification. You're also going to get a beer gut, you fat lard. Wait, what? Well, now that's just a little bit too far. He, he does. He gets real beside himself when, it, when she calls him fat. He's like, hey, come on. While you're down there getting a beer, you know what else you should get there, Gregorino? Five onion rings, you fat ass. Well, that goes great with beer. Thank you very much. I will. Perhaps some mild yellow mustard to go along with those onion rings. Really live a little. Let the horses out of the barn tonight. You know what I'm saying, Pamela? Before this scene can get too heated, we head back to the courtroom where attorney Dr. Giggles has Pamela Smart on the witness stand where he asks her, Why did you marry Greg? Uh, because I love him. And I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him? Is that what you told me to say, Dr. Giggles? <laughs> can, can you repeat that second part just one more time for the record? Is that what you wanted me to say, Dr. Giggles? It's, that part? It's perfect! It's perfect! Now tell the jury, was your marriage happy? Uh, it wasn't not unhappy. <laughs> there! There! She said it! Let her off! I did like that Helen Hutt's portrayal of Pamela Smart when he asks her, was it a happy marriage? She's like, it was extremely happy. But she closes her eyes when she does this. And I don't really study human behavior, but whenever anybody's closing their eyes and they say shit, I immediately assume that they're lying because I knew a bunch of untrusty motherfuckers in my life that did that. So I'm either thinking, one, Helen Hunt might be a really good actress and she's using this as a physical cue to show when Pamela Smart is being untrustworthy, or maybe just Helen Hunt is an untrustworthy person and is just lying all the time in her performance it's hard to tell like uh, divorcing the art from the artist on this one is tough <laughs> uh but so we we cut over to her making out with billy in the car uh, which is just an establishing shot of their getting it on the, the car that they're sitting in it's night and they're under a bright street light they're next to railroad tracks in the downtown city area. Like, if you wanted to get caught making out in your car, this seems like the second best place to park your vehicle to draw attention to it. 
with the number one place being directly under stoplights of a major intersection during rush hour traffic. There's not a bridge in this town you can park under. There's not a fire road somewhere. It's real conspicuous. We then cut to H.I. and Edwina McDonough's trailer, where everything inside this place is wood paneled. And it's Billy working out a plan with his buddies. Pete's there from the beginning of the movie, the guy with the knife who was too chicken shit to kill a man. Yeah, and Billy is like... Hey, look, here's how it's going to work, you numbskulls. I'm going to say I'm staying the night over here, but really, I'm going over to Pam's house, and we're going to, you know, do it. And they're like, wait a second, what? Yeah, yeah, her husband's on a ski vacation. And they're like, you are so full of shit. You are not going over to your teacher's house to fuck her. Oh, it gets even better. You know, Celia, the woman who used to do drugs, I think she's a student at our school, or maybe she's the principal. Anyway, she's going to be at the house, too, for some weird reason. Well, I'm off to lose my virginity, boys. Wish me luck. Right, because outside, Helen Hunt is like, meep, meep. I thought it was Nick for a moment from She's Too Young. (laughs) Get in. Billy. Billy Flynn runs off in his acid wash jeans and his flannel shirt and he drives away and Pete kind of expresses his objections to their impending romantic entanglement and Pete says I don't like this he's just a kid it's weird I'm like when did Pete grow a conscience right he was gonna kill a guy with a knife three days ago it, three days in the future yeah it doesn't add up because his character shouldn't be the hesitant one if he's no. gonna be in the room with a knife like you still gotta have some balls to hold a knife to somebody's throat and pretend like you mean it anyway we cut over to the house of sin where yes cecilia and billy and helen hunt watching some maxim video for a minute i thought it was like some fredericks of hollywood pg rated lingerie show this is the limitations of lifetime right in theory they're watching porn but you can't show that it looks like someone from falcon crest going to bed like doing a sexy little dance before they get into the duvet pam smart and billy flynn they excuse themselves and go upstairs to the bedroom where there's a bunch of lit candles and pamela smart starts undressing billy flynn and she's wearing a little nighty and honestly once they're topless from the waist up you can't really tell pamela smart from billy flynn with their mass of matted blonde hair and their pasty white skin that's what makes it sexy downstairs cecilia she goes to the fridge to get something to eat and when she opens up the refrigerator in pamela and greg smart's house there is a one five of white zinfandel a stick of butter a mostly empty bottle of french's mustard and an open box of arm and hammer baking soda well the mustard is for the onion rings (laughs) yeah cecilia is just like god you guys i'm so hungry and bored she goes upstairs knocks on the door and says are you guys finished because i'm really bored And if I'm Billy Flynn, I might take this as a self-stamped invitation to come in and get knocked around by the old Billy Club, if you know what I mean. I do. Because, yeah, I'm talking about his penis. And they don't answer. So she opens the door and she sees them having sex, but she lingers a little bit too long, Bo. You know? I don't know that I say it's too long. Like, you take more than a, a second. If your friend and a teacher were fucking... It's not like your parents where you're just like, oh, dear God, I don't want to think about this. It's like, I don't know. Let's see what they're up to. She stares. She likes their relationship. You know how each character has their own story. Once she realizes that they're having sex and she's like, well, I've had enough of an eyeful, she turns and runs off. And so later, Helen Hunt is dropping Billy off. 
And there's this whole situation where she's like, look, uh, I know this was your first time or that's the read I got on account of you trying to put your penis in my anus uh, initially. Ah, I thought that that was how you just pick a hole, but I, sorry. I know that's what you thought. You know, I'm quick to correct. I think you, you learned that. But I just have to wonder here, did you think this was good? Or did you have, you know, a good time? Oh, Miss Pamela Smart, the word that I would use is magical. It was a magical experience. Uh, Yeah, Billy, why would you say that it was magical? Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, Miss Smart, I thought it was magical because of the way my penis magically disappeared into your vagina. And then it would magically reappear. And then it disappeared. And then it reappeared. And then it disappeared again. It was like the Joker's magic trick from the Dark Knight, only with your penis. Also, Billy, you need to stop talking, and we can't do this anymore. Look, I'm a married woman, and there is not a way for me to not be married. Greg just doesn't go away enough for this to be kind of a tenable situation. Oh. Because I want to be with you. That's not oh, a question, you. but... You know, I can't divorce him on account of reasons. So, also, he can be mean, and maybe he'd take the dog. And you know how I like that dog, Halen. If I divorce him, he's going to take everything, Billy. He gets everything, I get nothing. Do you know that when a woman and a man gets a divorce, the man gets 100% of everything, and then the woman has to pay his alimony, which is like 10 times his salary? And New Hampshire passed a law that said divorced women are forbidden from having magical statutory rape sex with young men who are you. So there's no way for us to be together as long as Greg Smart is walking the earth, living and breathing. You know, it's like his very existence is the one thing that stands between your 15-year-old penis entering into my soft and experienced, mature 22-year-old tight vagina. Did I mention Greg gets drunk on White Ziffendale? Yeah, and he hits me. I mentioned that. What? Um, He's a monster. Yeah, yeah, he tried to kill my dog. What? uh, Who's named after my car. His name's Halen. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. He's, He's a bad dude. He throws orphans downstairs into basements that might have monsters in them. Oh, stuff no. like that like we had one of those at my house when i was young i'm sure you did he's a bad dude and he he's just he needs to be gone billy and i just can't think of any way that you can kill him to do that wait what that's a real pickle i would do anything for you i was just wondering if you happen to know anybody who might be in the business of killing people specifically oh husbands or gregs look i don't know where this is going but i also don't like where my penis won't be going either yeah you should probably think about that some why the part about killing a guy or the part about my penis and your vagina yeah we got to greg smart and his dad at some insurance conference where greg and his dad co-win salesman of the year it's all bullshit you know the fix was in on that one his dad's like son let's go out to celebrate your victory it's like what you guys see each other every day and your celebration is to see each other more we cut back to Pamela Smart's office where she and Billy Flynn are making out some more. There's lots of sharp jaw lines and bleach blonde hair. And between all this lip smacking, Pamela Smart asks, So Billy, have you figured out how you're going to kill my husband, Greg Smart, so that you and I can do that thing you liked so much the other night? Oh, Miss Pamela Smart, uh, are you sure you couldn't just divorce him? I mean, killing somebody's kind of illegal. Hey, wait a second. Let's cut off all this making out for a second. I thought you loved me. I thought this was love between us. 
Yeah, what about all that magical sex you like? He kind of reaches for her, and she pulls away real quick and, like, hisses. And he's like, oh, no, what happened to your arm? And she's like, well, you know, I told you that sometimes Greg gets a little rough with me. Well, let's say this arm just started hurting on account of something he did. It's one of those time-delayed wounds that you get from domestic abuse sometimes. Yeah, those bruises are really big. They look like your fingertips. Yeah, so listen, you might want to take some notes on this, but I've got a meeting on Tuesday, and Greg gets home at 9.30. Now, you should be wearing black and tie back your hair. You're going to want to make all this look like a burglary. Also, do you have a gun, and can you get one? You might need some plastic bags, a rope, chloroform, you know. Basically, anything that is used on the Clue board game, I would have that in a bag. Even the candlestick. Yeah, sneak into our house. You know which one. It's the one where we had all that magical sex you like so much. Anyway, you sneak over to the house. Preferably, you should do it on tippy-toe for comedic effect. There's a, a key that you can pick up. Just go inside. You can steal whatever you want. I don't give a shit. Uh, most of it's Greg stuff anyway. When he shows up, take that gun you got, two in the brain, and then you and I live happily ever after having magical sex until I get tired of your bullshit and I have someone murder you too. Oh, that sounds great. I think I can find a gun. And as soon as he waffles a little bit, she's like, um, are you trying to tell me that you're not going to get a gun? Oh, no, I'm not not going to get a gun. Look, if you're not serious about this. And then Cecilia comes in and is like, hey, you guys, you guys are talking about this like you're serious. This is crazy. You're gonna, are you seriously talking about killing your husband, Greg Smart? That's crazy. Hey, Cecilia, how about you turn the volume down a little bit? We're just trying to figure out how we can be together. You know, we're in love. She actually says, yeah, Cecilia, that's exactly what we're talking about. We need to find a way for us to be together. Why don't you leave us alone and let us get to our premeditation of this murder of my husband, Greg Smart? Okay, sure. I'll leave you alone, but you guys aren't really going to kill your husband. That's Yes, crazy. we are. I just told you that, stupid. La, la, I told la, you the whole... I left... La, 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 la. Guess my who's dorm? not killing their husband, my Celia, teacher, Mrs. Do you see Smart. these two tape recorders, how I'm recording this right now? I'm going to mail one of these to your house so that you have evidence of me plotting to kill my husband by means of this idiot child. She literally has this conversation with him with the door open, Celia four feet away. And she's just like looking in there like, what the f- what? Yeah, and I'm sure Cecilia is looking at a couple of other kids who are waiting to come in. Can you guys hear this? Excuse me for one second. Let me go see if I can speed up the process and get you guys in. You guys are killing your husband. <laughs> Later that night, Billy Flynn calls Pamela Smart, and she's at work sitting in the dark. She picks up the phone, and she's like, yeah, Billy, did you kill my husband, Greg Smart? Hold on, I gotta hit record. All right, Billy, did you kill Greg Smart, my husband? And Billy Flynn says, well, uh, Miss Pamela Smart, you see, uh, I couldn't find a gun, and we couldn't find a car, and I'm 15, and I don't have a driver's license, and the directions got all turned around, and somehow I just ended up back in my room. Wait, the directions to the house where you and I had met? Magical sex? I think I, I said that just mere moments ago to you. 
And we both agreed that it is vagina for murder kind of action going on. Oh, here. I like the first part of that. Miss Pamela is smart. Oh, I know. But I, I know don't care for did. the back half. But I'm getting the distinct impression that all of this stuff you were saying about Greg was just to get in my pants. And now that Billy got to sleep with the teacher, he just isn't going to come through with his side of the deal. You know what, Billy? Pamela Smart's Panty Paradise is now closed, and it's also rated R. And you got to be 18 years old to enter, oh. or you got to be accompanied with a parent or guardian. Can I sneak in? Can I buy a ticket for another vagina and sneak into that one? Oh, boy. We are through, Billy Flynn. Click. And she hangs up, and then the phone immediately rings, and Pamela Smart, she just stands up and walks out of the office, leaving Billy to be all crazed up by his first dip in the skinny dipping hole that is her vagina. <laughs> Cecilia is talking to billy the next day yeah. yeah listen you need to go in and talk to pamela smart like she is had just become the receptionist for helen hunt at this point and she's like look i'll even go in with you you know i'm on your side billy you guys make it <laughs> such a cute couple and so she walks him in there helen hunt is just like oh billy oh billy 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 i am so sorry look i got very emotional on account of you not murdering my husband yeah you were pretty upset i was a little steamed but then i started feeling steamed in other places like oh. you know between my legs what i call that's what i thought you meant my sexy swamp oh yeah if you want to take your fan boat to my sexy swamp i do i know you do what i'm gonna need you to do is say it, say it, anything. I'm going to need you to take another swing at this. Oh, shit. I got another meeting at the end of April, so you have another chance to dive headfirst into Lake Pamela. So we <laughs> cut to Billy Flynn, who's hanging out with his buddy Pete and two other trailer park buddies, JR and Raymond. And JR says, This is crazy. You want us to help you kill a guy that you never met so that you can get some? Look, guys. Her husband hits her. He's a bad dude. And I, I think there are monsters in their basement. And also, I really like putting my penis in her vagina. And then Pete chimes in and he says, look, Belly, I'll do it. All right. I'll help you kill a stranger because believe it or not, I just finished Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, where I not only identified with the protagonist, Raskolnikov, but I lay awake at night imagining what it would be like to be Raskolnikov. I'll help you murder a complete stranger, Billy Flynn. And step into the shoes of one of the most beloved characters of 19th century Russian literature. And one of the kids is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you actually, you know, murder somebody, let me ask you this question. Are you sure she wants you to do this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. She's asked me like a hundred times. Want me to? She's making me. And one other thing, she said she'd give us a thousand bucks to kill this guy. I guess that's an important detail. I left that out because all I was thinking about was her vagina and me putting my penis back in it. So now it's time for our crack squad of assassins to take attempt number two at this. Yes. And they swing into action in back in our parking lot at night. Billy grabs a bag of clue weapons, one presumes, from his place right and as this is happening we also see pamela smart chatting with a colleague after a meeting she's like i'm sorry i can't go get drinks and margaritas and maybe some spinach dip at the rafferty's after the meeting tonight i need to go get some stuff from my office like phone calls about dead husbands so i'll see you later Gwen. she's at her off and the phone doesn't ring but then billy and
then maybe Raymond show up at the school. They're just like, oh, oh we got lost. <laughs> That's what they say. They got lost. <laughs> <laughs> it's my, my like second or third favorite part of the movie. It's just these two knuckleheads showing up and like, we couldn't find the murder. And Pamela Smart is just immediately like, you know, that's fine. That is Accidents happen. How about if I take you home? First we'll drop off Raymond and then I'm going to tear you a new asshole, Billy. Yeah, she's real like calm and collected. But you know that storm is brewing. She pulls over that car after they drop off Raymond and is just like, what in the <laughs> hell happened? You got lost going to my house house you idiot you're either a coward or you never loved me uh, all right no i either win the election or it's rigged do you understand how this works look you make me sick billy flynn get out of my car and avert your eyes from my halen personalized license plate you don't deserve to have your eyes grace the name of heavy metal's greatest guitar player uh, get out of my dreams and get out of my car billy flynn come on pamela smart you gotta give me a third chance please i can kill your husband i won't let you down pamela smart i'll scream it from the rooftops i'll kill your husband Officer! Officer! Can you hear me? Ah, yes, I can hear you, boy. I'm gonna kill this lady's husband! I can tell you, off to jail you go. I love the fact that an Irish cop has somehow wandered into the movie. Ah, young love, I remember what it was like to be a wee bit tipsy and want to put my penis into a lass's vagina. Have a good time tonight, boy We killed all, all our lovers' husbands with potatoes, we did. That's what caused the potato famine. Killing all the, the husbands of our lovers. Pamela Smart kicks Billy Flynn out of her car and onto the street, and she peels out, leaving him all alone. Oh, man, this really went bad. I gotta cheese it. We get back to the trailer where Billy Flynn is there, and he's having a small meltdown in front of his friends Pete and Raymond or RJ or JR. Doesn't matter. And he's just talking about, like, oh, man, if I lose Pamela Smart and I can't have sex anymore, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna kill my myself and they're like you can kill her husband no ah, that's too much i'd rather just kill myself so billy flynn then rides his bike over to pamela smart's trans am where it's parked somewhere and he taps on the window he's like uh miss pamela smart my two friends pete and raymond they each want a thousand dollars to extinguish the life of your husband i think i told you one thousand dollars and you can split that however you want you can take less or one person can take none at all i really don't give two runny shits but 1000 is what you're going to get paid. Yeah, but to kill a guy, they felt that $1,000 each would be a more respectable amount of money. Well, you tell those two morons that they can think in one hand and shit in the other and see which one fills up first. They can either split the $1,000 I'm willing to pay or they can get nothing. Ah, uh, you drive a hard bargain, but okay. We cut to JR, who is now driving Pamela Smart's Camaro Trans Am, and Pete is riding shotgun, and then in the backseat, Pamela Smart and Billy Flynn are just making out like there's no tomorrow. And this is that kind of childish thing, right? Like, she's in a, a car with a bunch of high schoolers making out with a high school kid, and right. I, the movie doesn't put too fine a point on it, but this is truly like the, she has never matured, she still has the mindset of a selfish teenager. Right. As they're making out, at one point she comes up for air long enough to give these stooges directions to her house. She's like, look, here's turn-by-turn -turn directions from six major landmarks in this town. Here is a map. There's no way you idiots can get lost. Second question for you, who has the gun? And Billy's in the back. He's like, ah, I got the gun. All right. So Billy Flynn with the gun in the conservatory, I guess. What else do you guys need to know? I got this knife. No, no. Well, no I can knives. stab somebody right in the face with it. 
there in the neck. Look, and that is going to leave too much blood. All right. Knives leave blood. Bullets don't. Bullets go in and out and they kill somebody. You do not bleed if you get shot with a bullet, especially in the brain. Okay. There's no blood in your head. It's in the rest of your body. And if it's over here on Billy Flynn, it's probably in his dick. I want uh, as little blood as possible on account of my carpet and my furniture are all light colors and blood ain't going to come out of that. How about you have a little respect for my furniture? Speaking of respect, you need to put my dog, Halen, in the basement. He's like the coolest dog ever. I need to ask you guys something real quick. How should I act when I come in and see my dead husband? Like, I was thinking I should scream or maybe run to the neighbors or maybe I could pick up his body and dance around in the front yard in a state of shocked hysteria. What do you all think? And the kid driving is just like, act like a human. Act natural. Act like you just ran across a dead body. I got you. Look, I took a couple of courses in improv, so I'll just go with it. You know, like I come up, the door is open. Yes, and. My husband is on the ground. Yes, and. He's bleeding from the head. Yes, and. His pants are down around his ankle. Yes, and. Someone has drawn a W on each of his butt cheeks to make it say, wow. Yes, and. I got you. I hear you. That's not what I said at all. That's horrible. Yeah, well, that's what I heard. Turn up here. I want to stop off and get a pack of smokes and an icy. Later. She is bragging to Cecilia. Hey, Celia, did I tell you the good news? Billy Flynn and his friends JR and Pete and Raymond, they're going to kill my husband Greg Smart this Thursday night at my house with a gun that belongs to one of their other friends' dad. They're going to make it look like a burglary, but it's really a murder for hire and on the cheap. I'm only paying a thousand bucks and a couple of rolls in the hay with Billy. I would like to believe you, Pam, but there's just no detail in your story. I got them to record confessions on these cassette tapes. I don't know, Mr. Smart. I know how you like to joke and pull my leg. This isn't a joke. They are going to murder him. If anyone is going to be a witness to this that's not actually there, it's going to be you, Celia. All right? You know everything. Miss Smart, you are such a card. I got to get to class. I'll see you later in your life, husband. So we come back to the parking lot where our movie started, and the boys decide to go get pizza at Papa Gino's, you know, to get a pie. You can't kill a stranger on an empty stomach. No. You're not you when you're hungry. You don't want to be hangry is what they call it, Chad. You don't want to be on edge when you're committing a murder. Pamela Smart is now at the third monthly PTA meeting, and she's getting approvals to be a full-time director of the media center. Good for you, Pam. You deserve that promotion. Back in the parking lot, the car is full of our teenage dum-dums and a gun, and Pete tells Billy Flynn, "Uh, Don't worry, man. Uh, We won't use the gun. I got a knife. It's not exactly like Raskolnikov, but... I want to make this murder my own. Hey. Something to remember. What about all the furniture? Don't worry about that. I took a big shit this morning, and I'm going to wipe my ass on it. Wait. Leave no DNA. You're not the one who's got to live with Pam after all this is over. You leave that furniture alone. I'll shoot you myself. They sneak into the house by way of a basement trap door or something. They put the dog Halen downstairs so he doesn't have to see the planned unpleasantries ahead. Uh, They rifle through the jewelry, and Pete's all pissed off. He's like, ah, this jewelry is worthless. It's a bunch of junk. Let's get our hands on those speakers maybe we could go sell them to strangers in the parking lot of a grocery store from the back of a van meanwhile greg has been wrapping up a sales call and my favorite part of this is as he's leaving and they've clearly like struck a deal and the guy is like yeah your father be proud uh you're turned out to be a great salesman all and i thank you mr thompson thompson at one point the old man is like i guess you gotta run home huh hot little number you got at home 
You know what I'm saying, Greg? Oh, Mr. Thompson Thompsonson. I think you know exactly what I'm going to have when I get home. Five onion rings. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The five onion rings. That's... Hey, you know, I saw your wife at the grocery store the other day. She had one of those little skirts yeah. on. Oh, goodness, Greg. Oh, goodness. I'm an old man. It doesn't move that much anymore, but it did then. Huh? It did on, on aisle seven when I saw you. Yeah. She was bending over to pick up some jelly. I was like, oh, I'd like to jam her. Huh, Greg? Huh? Yeah, onion rings. Good to see you, Mr. Thompson. All right. Jensen. Yeah, hey, hey, how about you say a hello to your wife? See if she remembers me. Say, aisle seven, the old guy who grabbed uh, your ass. Yeah, she'll know. Greg finally arrives home, and we're back where our movie begins. Greg goes into the house. There's a struggle. We cut to outside the condo townhouse. <laughs> One gunshot. Right. So Billy Flynn and Pete run off through the woods, past a Papa John's and a police station, and there's blood literally on their hand. And Pamela Smart shows up at the condo and finds the door open and her husband greg lying on the floor now with his brains on the outside of his skull not where one would normally expect to find brains Mm -hmm. and pamela smart she just runs off screaming help uh help somebody help um little help here she goes with the screaming on the lawn reaction fall to your knees why why how who where which and immediately we cut to like the police are all there in time for greg's parents to show up and oh there's a real movie of the week feel to this where they show up and they're like what's going on Where, where's my son why there he is there he is on the ground uh, right now Greg, somebody Greggy. help him up gregor gregster greg eggs and ham why isn't he responding it's me greg your your dad hey i, I know what'll get him up everybody five on you oh my god <laughs> Wait a minute. Why is he laying next to that cherry jello and raw hamburger? Has he been eating that? There are two cops, one of whom is kind of wrestling with the dad to keep him back. And then the other one just leans over and goes, hey, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of the coldest deliveries of that line. It's just annoying. Tony, that's the guy's father. (laughs) I know who he is. He also was crossing the barrier. I got a job to do here. Get back, pops. Just because his sperm led to that mess in the foyer doesn't mean he can go tromping around a crime scene all right back behind the line if he ain't had that kid i would be at home right now eating my swanson tv dinner but he did have that kid and that kid got shot in the head and now where am i here not eating my swanson tv dinner judy is just done once she hears this guy go he's dead (laughs) after that she is just collapses (laughs) later on we see them back at the smart parents house Right. And like Judy is sitting beside uh, Pam Smart and Pam Smart goes, well, somebody please call my mother. Also, somebody go to the house and get my dog Halen. He is locked in the basement. Oh, was I supposed to know that? Did I hear? Yes. Yes. I heard him in the basement. That's what happened. Yeah. Is anybody else here hungry? Could somebody run down to that all night deli? Not ships, but TNC deli. Give me a pastrami on rye, maybe a bag of sour cream ruffles, Mountain Dew. And spicy mustard. None of that yellow shit that Greg used no. to eat. Uh, that is one of the things I hated most about him. Oh, I guess this is probably in the time to talk about Greg's little peccadillos. Mm-hmm. And I swear to God, if whoever goes down there, you bring back onion rings, I'm going to bust you in the face with this clock radio. Let's just say I know people who can make things happen. 
And Greg's whole family is just staring at her with this, what in the hell is wrong with this woman? Right, right. Then we cut to Billy and Vince and Cecilia. And I think that nameless girl from the Orange Juice Caveman video is there. I mean, she is complete background to this movie. But they all pile into this office and the teacher is like, look, I know all of you are close with uh, Mrs. Smart. Ah, I was really close with her. And immediately Cecilia has the shifty eyes where she's just like, where is this going? I'm not going to crack. Not going to crack. Guess who doesn't crack? Cecilia. And the teacher is like, all right, everybody, we're going to show our support by going to this wake for the husband of your teacher. Oh, man, they found his body? I didn't expect that to happen. Um, I mean, uh, Billy? when somebody gets murdered, you think they're never going to find the body. And you know what else? I'll bet the murderers are a million miles away by now. We should call in a tip and say that the killers are a million miles over in that direction. Shut up, Billy. Shut up. Billy, you're pointing at the sky. Now you're pointing at the wall. And Billy, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm a math teacher. And if they went a million miles away in that direction, well, the circumference of the Earth is roughly 24,900 miles around. With minor detours, if the killers were to travel a million miles in that direction, oddly enough, they would simply circumnavigate the Earth 40 times and end up almost right back in the exact same spot where you and Raymond are sitting right now. Oh, jeez, we gotta go! Sorry about this. He's under a lot of pressure. He just killed Pamela Smart's husband. I mean, what? I gotta go! We cut to the funeral where Pamela Smart is doing some meeting and greeting and saying thank you to everyone. And yeah. T-Bone, what's up, man? <laughs> hey, good to see you, brother. Yeah, we're gonna have a champagne jam later tonight. You need to come out. All right, high five. As soon as I ditch his folks, they've been real bummers today. As soon as yeah. they're gone, we're gonna turn this thing up a notch. So just stick around. I think everybody's gonna have a good time tonight i called stanley steamer they swung by the condo earlier sucked up all the brains and blood house will be clean we're gonna be good to go i'm gonna pick up some cold cuts i'm gonna pick up some wine coolers probably a little bit of natty light and we're gonna party hardy man all right i like that she's slowly becoming a littered skinnered roadie later on police are kind of questioning pamela smart yeah what do you assholes want (laughs) Look, we just got to ask you a few basic questions. Make it quick. My buddies are waiting at my house, all right? Uh, did Greg ever do drugs or hang out with people who were in, into drugs? No, we didn't believe in drugs. And also, for what it's worth, we didn't believe in leprechauns or fairies either, okay? All right, well. Or chupacabras. Not, do you have any other stupid questions? Not exactly the same, but was Greg ever violent? With me? No. He was fucking scared of me. Look at me. I'm a shit brick house. But was he violent with other people? Nah, he used to stand in front of the mirror and call himself a little girl, which I thought was really weird. You guys were married a a year, a little less than a year. Uh, Were were you happy? Hell no. I mean, yes. Wait, what's the first thing you said? I said, hell yes. Oh, thought you said no at first. I said, hell, you know, yes. You need to listen. I mean, as a police officer, you think you'd pay attention to details like that. You kind of suck at your job. Next question. I think we might be good there. Peter Ducey, Fox News. Uh, do you have a question? All right, look, I'm out of here. All right, we'll we'll be in touch. Also, hey, yeah, before you do that, you, before you go, just one quick note. Whatever you do, if you don't uh-huh. take anything else out of this room, just right. don't talk to the media. It really has a negative effect on the investigation if you bring mm-hmm. the media into it and kind of muddy those waters. One, don't tell me what to do. Two, when you smell something, that's my ass because I just farted. I'm out. And so, yeah, immediately cut to her <laughs> on her lawn in a red dress. <laughs> prepping for an interview the guy she's talking to is a real reporter named bill spencer and there's a documentary that was on hbo i think it's on 
Prime now called Captivated. Yeah. It's an interesting documentary if you really want to torture yourself with everything that's really related to Pamela Smart. Bill Spencer came across to me as one of those guys who his whole career was made by the Pamela Smart story. Oh, 100%. And in this, yeah. he's playing himself and he just kind of, I don't know, knowing that it comes across as even more opportunistic of squeezing out any sort of level of fame or publicity that would shine on him as well. Because that's, you touched on this in the intro, the Pamela Smart story, as tragic as it was with this man being shot and killed, it was really the story about how the media covers these salacious murders and just how everyone kind of got caught up in the circus that was this court case. Because this was a few years before OJ allegedly decapitated Nicole Brown Simpson and stabbed Ron Goldman to death, allegedly. But seeing this reporter playing himself, it was just like, you're kind of a skeezball too. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real scumbag move. And it's one of the reasons that making fun of this, ironically, is a little bit easier because it's such a cynical thing anyway. We couldn't make fun of a movie that was like very carefully and seriously depicting this crime and the emotional and community repercussions of it. That would be like making fun of Mystic River or something. Like, it's just a terrible idea. And there is a better movie in this story, and it's called To Die For. Yeah. Buck Henry adapted the book by Joyce Maynard of the same name. And that movie is more over the top, intentionally so, as directed by Gus Van Sant with Nicole Kidman and Joaquin Phoenix and Matt Dillon and all of that. And it is a much better film than what we're discussing here today. But that movie really turns its lens on not only the core subject matter, but just the media scrutiny and how people respond to that. Because one of the things in the documentary that's touched on as well is that once cameras came into the courtroom for this case, people behaved differently. The attorneys behaved differently. The judge behaved differently. The jury behaved differently. Like it became something that it arguably shouldn't have become for good or bad. Probably more for bad. Yeah, absolutely. Like we talked about in the the opening, like it was the first trial where cameras were in the courtroom and capturing every second of it and that kind of thing. I have a running theory that one of the great cancers of society is just too much of everything. That if you dialed everything that stimulates our brains these days back by about half the world would be a better place yeah back to the movie she's wearing a red dress she's standing in front of her dead husband's parents house the reporter is like you're really a pillar of strength it's hard to imagine how you Mm -hmm. get the strength to carry on the way that you do she's like yeah i know i'm pretty strong but i gotta say i think that it's greg who's given me the strength to carry on it's like i'm oh wait did you not get that first part okay i'm back to one everybody then she repeats it and it's that moment of like oh my god yeah she's a real sociopath then she says look i just wanted to set the record straight i heard from the lamestream media that greg's death was drug related and i want to dispel those rumors and set the record straight it wasn't drugs all right or werewolves or chupacabras or leprechaun it was just a crazy random thing it was like if a tornado had killed him or a caravan coming up from ecuador or south america if ms-13 had broken into our house and killed my husband it's Mm -hmm. that kind of thing It's just, it's totally random. Everybody can kind of stop looking and worrying about it. It's just going to go away like a miracle one day. 
Greg was not a believer in the Second Amendment. And I used to tell him, look, Greg, the only thing that's going to kill a bad Billy Flynn with a gun is a good Greg with a gun that I've taken the bullets out of. I'm, I'm sorry, what What was that? You know what? Can we go back, set it to one? I want to try this one more time. And could you shoot me from this side? This is my good side. Sure we can, Pam. Afterwards, like she's thanking the camera folks, you know, you guys are real pros. I really respect what you did out here. And the reporter asks, why did you choose me? And she says, well, you know, I watch you all the time. You're my favorite reporter. Also, if I could get your car, maybe I can give you a call sometime and we can just kind of spitball about the business, you know, because I'm a little bit of a, a journalist myself. I run a media center at a local high school. I got experience. Did you ever see To Die For? The lead investigator then gets a call from somebody and at first I thought it was Cecilia, but I don't think it is. I think it's somebody from the pizzeria. Yeah, from Gino's Pizza, yeah. Well, they're, they're like, I work at the Papa Gino's, the pizza restaurant, the frequented by a, a bar in the basement to hit them in. And uh, they want to be gangsters from the great New Hampshire area. Anyway, I was uh, working there about a month ago, and I'm uh, talking to this uh, teacher. She got uh, the big of the mouth, uh, and she's screaming and yelling about, I know this uh, guy, uh, Billy Flynn. He gonna shoot my husband, Greg Smart, in the head and lock Van Halen in the, the basement. And I'm thinking, oh my God, she's going to kill the Van Halen. But it was crazy. Crazy, and then someone called on the phone and she left and I wasn't able to get her license plate in full, but I believe that it said Harley. The cops are like, okay, and which Papa Gino's do you work at again? Listen, I got to go, okay? We're running a pizzeria. I don't have time to, to listen to you talk about your corner of the cock, all right? I got to go. Goodbye. Click. Oh, damn it. We almost had a clue. So they drag Cecilia back in here because uh, this caller drops a dime on Cecilia and the cops are like, all right, listen up, Cecilia. Enough bullshit. We know you were in on it. We know the boys were in on it. Suck on it, pig. Hey, you got quite the little mouth on you. You got nothing on me, all right? You got somewhere to be or something? Why are you looking so antsy? I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm definitely not going back to my house and continuing to dig holes in my backyard where I'm going to bury numerous videotapes that include evidence of Pamela Smart admitting to her killing her husband. What? Ahem. Get him tight. Screw off, pig. I got to go to driver's ed. And they're like, well, I guess we don't have anything to keep her. So we'll see you again, Cecilia. And as soon as she leaves, Helen Hunt is right there, right outside the door. Pamela Smart is in the hall, in the police station, outside of the room where they're grilling her. And Pamela Smart says, how did it go? What did they ask you? What did you tell them? And in the police station, she says, did you tell them that I planned the death of my husband, Greg Smart, on multiple occasions? How I manipulated Billy Flynn with sex to end my marriage? That was the whole scheme. It was my idea. Down to them wearing gloves to hide fingerprints. Put my dog, Halen, in the basement, who's named after guitar god eddie van halen did you tell him all that and the cops just kind of nod wisely like i think we're really on to something here <laughs> then pamela smart late at night calls judy up uh -huh. and she's like oh hey judy look i just want to give you a call because you know i've been missing greg real bad on account of him being i don't know on wait where to get on vacation or no dead uh on account of him being dead <laughs> And sometimes I think, you know, maybe I just can't go on anymore. I'm thinking about ending things. I find it hard to sleep without him because I used to punch him so hard as I went to bed and it helped to calm my nerves. Hearing him whimper and cry, it was so adorable. And he liked to keep the thermostat on about 68, which is pretty cold for me. But I hated him so, so much. It warmed me up. So I didn't mind it being so cold in the house because yeah. I was just walking around simmering with rage, Judy. 
You know what else, Judy? I walk around our townhouse and I keep looking for him everywhere. I keep thinking he's going to be around the corner and he's not. But I know he's got to be here because, you know, his ghost has got to show up, right? I mean, he was murdered in this house. How can he not be lurking around here trying to kill me or something? And Judy's like, oh, honey, I know what you mean. I feel the same way. We're going to get through this. Yeah, yeah. I think you got some good points here, Judy. Hey, have you talked to the cops? I hear that your husband is close with the captain and the police have been kind of shutting me out on account of me having said multiple times in public places that I was going to have Greg killed. So I was wondering if maybe you'd heard something about the investigation that perhaps I have not. Like, are they closing in on somebody? Like, somebody that was close to Greg, who might have said out loud a number of times, I'm going to hire people to murder him. No, no, Pamela, we haven't heard anything about that. Interesting. I think you're a bit hysterical. You should go lay down and take one of your nerve pills. You're probably right. I'm just a little wound up. But, Judy, you know, it's just the best to talk to you. And I'd never hurt your son in any way. And I think... I know. It's important. You promised me that on your wedding day. I just wanted to tick that box, let you know that's still front of the brain, even though, well, you know, I hate to mention brains, what with Greg's being, uh, you know, still splattered on the front. Sure. Yeah. But I guess that'll come out. What what do you use to get out stains, Judy? Uh, Have you ever tried to get out a son's brains? You know, I I haven't. I typically use club soda or my own tears. I tried that. That club soda just didn't do shit. I don't know. It's a head scratcher. Oh, there I go again. I swear, Judy. (laughs) I just (laughs) keep putting my foot in my mouth, which I guess is better than a bullet. Huh? We're both both alive to joke about that, and I guess that's something, Judy. Well, it is. What's that, hon? You know what, uh, Pamela? I've got to go. My husband is calling me from the other room. Okay, and I'm not coming for Christmas. I just want... You weren't invited. Great, great. That has made me happier than even arranging for the murder of your son, Judy. All right. Well, I will talk to you later, Pamela. Okay, okay? bye-bye then. We cut to Raymond, one of the friends, and he's at this high school party and he's holding court with about 20 high school kids all sitting around drinking beer out in this outdoor patio. This guy, Raymond or JR, I don't know who it is. He's like, yeah, man. So they come running out of the woods and they get in the car and I'm like, hey, did you kill Greg Smart, husband of Pamela Smart? And Billy Flynn, he says, oh yeah, I did it. And I'm going to have magical sex with Pamela Smart because you know, that's how he talks. And then Pete's with him and he's like, yeah, man, I was there too, but I couldn't slit his throat with a knife, but we got to get out of here. And that's what happened. And all these students are laughing and giggling because ever this one guy who has a look on his face that's like, say, maybe I should go tell an adult about this. That sounds like it's serious. We cut back to the trailer and one of this gang of kids is sitting there working on a motorcycle and the stoolie from the party, he rolls up and he's talking to this kid, Ralph. And he's like, hey man, I was at a party and JR or Raymond or whatever, they were saying that it was Billy Flynn that killed that teacher's uh, husband. And they said that they used your dad's gun and Ralph's like, ah. Ah, shit. So Ralph goes inside the trailer and he confronts Pete and Raymond who are just chilling out. And Ralph says, man, did you guys kill Greg Smart? And Raymond says, yeah, man. How do you think I got these sweet speakers? Yeah. This dude looks so disgusted at his friends. And he says, I grew up with you guys. And I was like, I don't know if he's upset at their abhorrent moral choices or he was upset that he wasn't cut in on the action. But turns out he was judging their behavior. I grew up with you guys. And you guys always leave me out of everything fun. You 
dicks. Well, you know how every house has a junk drawer filled with like pencils and pens and junk mail, maybe an empty bottle of crazy glue or a stapler, uh-huh. random batteries, etc. Well, in Ralph's house, they have a junk drawer and it's filled with loose leaf firearms. We cut to the Ralph household and his dad opens up this drawer to find six to ten guns just shifting around. And Ralph's dad pulls out the 38 special, or as he calls it, his peacemaker. And he's like, hmm. It's just been cleaned. So Ralph and his dad, they march down to the police station and they turn in the gun as the possible murder weapon that was used to kill Greg Smart. And then cut to Pamela Smart in bed painting her nails or doing papers or some shit. This is a good shade on me. This looks real good. It's going to look good on TV the next time I do another interview. And on the news, it's like breaking news in the Greg Smart murder case. Hey, I should turn this up. This might be about me. Three boys have been arrested in connection to the Greg Smart murder, and another arrest may be coming. Oh, shit. Please don't be the three that I hired to kill him. <laughs> then it's not until she's turned off the TV and, like, gone to bed that she cries. It's the first time she cries in the whole movie. The only time she cries in the movie is when she realizes, oh, I might be real fucked. I'm probably going to go to jail now. Yeah. We cut away from that to Cecilia's mom just marching her into the police station. My daughter has something that she would like to say to you. Screw off, pig. Mom, knock it off. Smack her in the head. Sorry. All right. I'm willing to work with you, asshole cops. I smell bacon. (laughs) Smack. (laughs) Tell these people what I told you to say. Actually, tell them what you told me. Fine. Okay, so I know that Pamela Smart hired a bunch of lunkheads to kill her husband. Are you happy now, Mom? Oh, boy, it looks like we've got ourselves a clue. This is going to be a real open and shut case. So they wire Cecilia up. Immediately. Yeah. Fucking snitch. And so she goes to the bathroom and she cries the tears of a rat as she wires herself up. Then she goes to meet Pamela Smart. Oh, my God. Mrs. Smart, I gotta go meet some attorneys general, or maybe it's attorney generals. I really don't know. That's one of those that really trips me up because I'm a child. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Look, here's what you do. If you tell the truth, you're going to be an accessory to murder. I know, because that's probably what I'm going to get charged with, because I totally masterminded this whole thing, all right? Now, I've told you over and over, in extensive detail, how I planned all this to get my now dead husband, Greg, killed. If you tell him you knew this, you're going to go to jail, too. You know? What's your family going to think? Miss Smart, would you mind speaking a little more into my left tit? Sure, sure. Do you want to video record this, too? You can use the VHS. Oh, boy, Just tape over this. It's called Jungle time orange juice it's a piece of shit okay we're never gonna win i'll tell you what just put a pin in that let me turn on your recorder here okay uh right. let's take it from the top where you were saying the thing about killing people yeah yeah I'm, I'm glad i wore my red dress all right look stick to your story and you're not going to end up in jail forever those kids it's going to be their word against your word against my word and they're going to believe me a teacher who has been screaming and yelling about murdering her husband in every pizzeria mattress shop laundry mat i tell everybody and i'll just tell them i was just joking you know i was being sarcastic people in authority when they say outrageous shit all you got to do to get away with it is just say i was just funning and then people believe you meanwhile the cops are listening to all this and they're just like oh it's your toy i think we got her it's a real robert <laughs> durr scenario where it like all of this is just blowing up on, on the mic so the detectives walk into pamela smart's office and they immediately arrest her then back at greg smart's parents house the phone ring and dig greg smart's dad he answers the phone hello uh, yes captain i I'm sitting down. Good news and bad news, you say. 
Well, you know what? Let's have the bad news first. Well, you don't say Pamela Smart, our daughter-in-law Pamela Smart, that Pamela Smart. Accomplice to murder? Ice in her veins? Heartless murdering adulteress. I guess that explains why she didn't want to join in on our 12 Days of Christmas sing-along last year. Well, you started the call and you mentioned some good news and bad news. What's the good news? There is no good news. Well, Captain, I can't blame you for trying to soften this gut punch a little bit. Tell that lovely wife, Jean Ann of yours, we send our love. Yes, yes, I know. Five onion rings. Five onion rings forever. Thank you, Captain. And Judy is like, honey, who was that? Well, honey, I've got good news and bad news. Well, I guess you better give me the bad news first. And afterwards, <laughs> she's like, oh, I just didn't want to believe this. And he goes, well, honey, how could you possibly believe it? Children <clears throat> are killing children. We cut back to J.R. Pete or somebody. J.R. Pete and Billy Flynn, they're all in a room together so that they can, you know, get their stories straight. Yeah. There's no attorneys there. There's no law enforcement officials. It's like a real ACLU nightmare scenario. Completely. The upside is that Jr. is like, guys, we got to cut a deal. We got to, I mean, fuck this Pamela Smart chick. We can't go down for this. I don't know. They're still, have, do they give us conjugal visits? No, no, no. She's in prison, what? man. That's not how it worked on the TV. Prisoners got to have sex with their loved ones. No. What were you watching? Did you never watch Oz? Do you know what's going to happen no, to us? I wasn't old enough. My parents wouldn't let me watch that. I also promised I'd never squeal. I'm not going to be a rat <laughs> like Cecilia. JR is like, hey man, hasn't Pam ruined your life enough? Huh. It cuts me deep. And so they're trotted out to Dr. Johnny Fever, attorney at law. Right. All right. We'll make the deal. And he's like, well, you're going to have to give me more than that. You're going to have to give me confessions on the fives. Fine. We'll testify against Pam. And then we go to court. Yep. Present day. Uh-huh. Where Billy is on the stand. Pam is locked eyes with him. And Dr. Johnny Fever, attorney at law, is like, so, Billy, I was wondering if you could possibly identify this knife and i'll tell you what i'm gonna give you the break to do it we're gonna be right back if billy doesn't get it caller seven gets to identify the weapon in my hand in this bag uh it's a knife he's like all right we're back billy i'm gonna turn it over to you once you tell us all about that night at pamela smart's house and what you did with that gun and billy just lays out everything i said god forgive me and i shot him helen hunt is just like stone face pamela smart just nothing giving nothing up then dr johnny fever is like billy i just want to know for our listeners how long were you standing there holding that gun uh like a hundred years and Dr. Johnny Fever, attorney at law, is like, you hear that, ladies and gentlemen of the jury? A hundred years. I think we all know that that is stupid. There is no way that this young man was there for a hundred years. Now, with that in mind, I think we can all agree he's a moron, easily manipulated by the defendant there. We're going to be back right after some weather to get the verdict. In the actual court case, after he said, God forgive me, and it's this real dramatic moment, the judge interrupts and says, let's take a morning recess it breaks and it was one of those examples of how the made for tv drama that was this court case played out like a television show but later that day the jury comes back in with a verdict and they're like yeah, defendant please rise and the jury's like do you find pamela smart guilty of accomplice to murder and they say we do she's guilty and then the courtroom erupts with emotion the way courtrooms do in movies 
in real life, they lock that shit down. Right. Nobody erupts with joy. The judge is banging the gavel. Order, order, yeah. I say. Oh, well, let them celebrate. The movie cuts to a graveyard where a string of cars pull up and people climb out and they walk over to Greg Smart's headstone and they all lay down onion rings on top of it. Mm -hmm. And the father says, you can finally rest, son. And then everybody leaves the graveyard, and that's the movie. It ends. I had a, a different read of that last scene. As soon as they all joined hands, I was like, are they trying to resurrect this kid? Have they never read the monkey's paw? This is not going to go well. Yeah. Also, when, when he says, you're at rest now, or you can rest now, uh -huh. maybe he was haunting Pamela Smart. Also, why wasn't that in the movie? Also, why wasn't that the movie? And then, anyway, it's over. And that's it. Yeah. That is the end of the season finale. That is Murder in New Hampshire, the Pamela Smart story. Chet, all right, I'm going to tip my hand a little bit here. Okay. And say that, yes, the material, the, the root of the material is incredibly tragic, and it's really sad, and it's complicated, and yada, yada. But all that being said, this movie as a made-for-TV movie, I thought was hilariously terrible. And actually enjoyed both viewings because when you have stuff like, hey, I'm cataloging how cheap your family is. and Right. Well, what are you, a coward or a liar? Because if you're a coward, then I want you out of the car. And if you're a liar, then fuck you. Like all that stuff I just thought was <laughs> really, really funny and hilariously terrible. Yes, it's a, a terrible story behind the scenes, but I think this movie is is very funny. It's tragically sad. It's a terrible movie, and I'll never watch it again. Speaking of never watching anything again, Bo, as we do, it is a tradition here at Pick 6 Movies. At the end of every season, we rank our movies from best to worst, worst to best, however you want to rank them. But this season, we have decided, I have decided, Okay. this season, I would like to hear how you would rank our first three movies and then our second three movies, because I don't know that ranking them together is a fair mix. I think looking at our three Christmas films and our three teenage sex films is really the best way to separate these, because I don't want any of the VD or the uh, holiday cheer to cross You don't want that peanut butter in your chocolate? I get it. No, I, I do not. <laughs> uh, here's how I would like to hear you rank them. You can either choose to rank them on the order in which you would recommend them to someone else, or you could rank them based on your likelihood to ever watch them again gentleman's choice okay I, I as far as the christmas movies go there's no chance i'm ever watching any of those again rank them based on your recommendation someone comes to you and says i have three christmas movies and i have to watch them all which one should i start with so i would say top of the list this is what i would recommend to someone if you want to watch dear santa is probably the one i would recommend like it's kind of funny because of the stalkery elements but it's right. kind of a movie and then yeah. and then below that is A Very Nutty Christmas. And then, of course, Grumpy Cat. I would never recommend to anyone. That movie is awful. I agree. I would probably recommend A Very Nutty Christmas first because it's completely benign. Dear Santa gets into some of the weird stalker elements. <laughs> yeah. And then lastly, I would put Grumpy Cat. Grumpy Cat was just... Got that it. was the worst thing we watched all season. If we were mixing and matching here, Grumpy Cat would still be at the bottom of my list. The only thing positive I can say about Grumpy Cat is 
it constantly kept you guessing. The whole movie, I was thinking, what in the hell is happening here? It was so disjointed and ill-conceived. It was just absurd. Yeah. What about our other okay. three? Pedals on the Wind, She's Too Young, and Murder in New Hampshire, The Pamela. Okay, I would recommend Pedals on the Wind to anybody. Th- that movie you. is fucking bananas, and I love it. The likelihood of me watching Pedals on the Wind again is about 85%. I know it is. Is that, That's today. Yeah. I mean, the further I get away from it, the higher that percentage climbs, because I'll start to forget <laughs> some of the crazy shit and be like, why did I right? like that movie so much? And then I'll go back and watch it and it'll be wonderful all over again. Because I've seen it two and a half times now and I loved it every goddamn time. All right. So what's your number two? That's tough. I think it's She's Too Young. Okay. I think it goes in the order in which we did it. I Like, She's Too Young has all that 90s new metal stuff the visual style of it and this is not because i think it's a good movie or entertaining i would recommend it because it is second on the list of being hilarious to pedals on the wind and i think just because of the subject matter murder in new hampshire is a little less fun because there is that underlying sense of like hey there are real people at the root of this story but the movie itself is so ridiculous and it's so melodramatic and it's so sensational to me it's like ripping on a, a yellow journalism article about this story i would put it my top She's Too Young, followed by Pedals on the Wind. And the only reason I put Pedals on the Wind behind it is because Pedals on the Wind requires homework of watching the first movie. And that's a lot. Uh, I don't think you need, I mean, as long as you, yeah, you're right. Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. It would be like if you'd never seen Star Wars and you watch Empire Strikes Back. There's a prequel to Empire Strikes Back. Do, Do you find out where Yoda came from? Yeah. In fact, there are four prequels to Empire Strikes Back. Full of Yodas and shit jumping around. There's a Darth Vader as a young boy. Oh. There's NASCAR in outer space. You would love them. Oh, no. This is starting to sound worse and worse. But, Chad, as we come to the end of this season, as one door closes, a window opens. And can you give us a peek through that window? I'll not only give you a peek, Bo, I'm going to sing you a little song. Because there's one thing I know about you, Bo, you love to sing. And I also know that you're not very good at it. Uh And your love of music is only bested by your love of movies. So you know what? What if we bring these two things together in a little season that we're going to call A Flop is Born, featuring six movies starring pop singers? Oh, what could go right? (laughs) now these are not going to be musicals these are movies where famous singers who think they can act decide to make a movie and they prove that they should stick to singing this was a a season that you and i both got very excited about very quickly because in some cases some of these movies are going to be uncharted territory for us uh in some cases these movies are very much not and yeah. uh, it's going to be a healthy mix of the two and there's going to be classics and obscure movies and oh boy it's going to be a real celebration and kicking things off will be the king of rock and roll himself Elvis Presley in one of his most infamously bad films of all time 1968's stay away joe now bo have you seen this movie yet (laughs) not yet well let me just tell you bo in this film elvis presley plays native american rodeo rider joe lightcloud Uh who returns to his home reservation to raise cattle with his native american father as played by burgess meredith aka the penguin from batman a.k.a. Mick from the Rocky movies, a.k.a. the dirty old man from Grumpy Old Men. This sounds very problematic. 
I should also point out that Burgess Meredith performs this role in full red face, which does not age well. I can't wait to watch this in high def. Elvis sings. He acts. He punches guys. He herds cattle with an oversized convertible white Cadillac. I think it's a comedy, but I can't be sure. Doesn't matter because we're going to have a good time with this one either way. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Chad, anything you would like to say about uh, this film we watched tonight, The Murder in New Hampshire? I know that for some young men, putting their penis in a vagina makes them act crazy. And if any young men are out there contemplating murdering someone so that they can continue to put their penis into a particular woman's vagina, please don't do it. Okay? It's not worth it. There are a lot of other vaginas out there that you can stick your penis into. Not just vaginas. There's those pool suction things. There's vacuum cleaners. There's fleshlights. There's a world of opportunity out there. Don't limit yourself and end up in a murder plot sound advice as always like rate review drop us a line you can reach us you know where to find us if you have recommendations for seasons if you have movies that you would like to see in the upcoming season featuring pop singers who decide that they can act but prove to us that they cannot and should stick to singing let us know we have not 100 locked down on our upcoming season and we would love to hear from each and every one of you so track us down pick6movies.com you can reach us at pick6movies at gmail.com we're on social media and as always thank you for listening and we will be back in two weeks time we